DLF family of podcasts, along with James the Brain and Sam Stompy Lane. I am the Superflex dude, John Hogan. This is the Superflex Super Show, live day three of the NFL Draft, broadcasting once again live, although this time we started almost at the end of the seventh round, and we're doing a Superflex mock draft. Two full rounds of 12-team Superflex mock, and we've brought in a few of our friends to help out with this. First of all, Matt Hicks, at the FF underscore educator on Twitter. He's the founder of FF Analysts and host of the FF Analyst podcast, as well as the Draft Room podcast, and he's a writer for Gridiron Experts. Jesse Reeves, at Jesse Reeves FF, who's a dynasty analyst for ffstatistics.com and host of the Youth Movement Podcast. And then once again, joining us, filling in on very late notice, and we really, really appreciate it. One of our absolute best friends and, uh, at this point, an honorary member of the Superflex Super Show, Bobby Koch, at Wrecked Fantasy, that's R-E-K-E-D Fantasy, host of the brand new Superflex podcast and the writer for DLF. Let's get into this Superflex mock draft. All right, how are we going to do the order here, Johnny Boy? Well, okay, so I'm going 101. Because... Oh, what? What do you just make <laughs> stuff up as you go? I, in, <laughs> indeed, I do. I think you, you know that by yeah, now. All right. I've been doing this long enough. Yeah, I'm going 101 because that's the easy one. I don't have to know anything about <laughs> 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 <sighs> Sounds legit. Sounds legit. <laughs> yeah. Is it, um, is it the the because you already know you're taking Daniel Jones. Is that what it is? <laughs> oh yeah. Drew Locke. Right. Drew Drew Locke, of course. You know, Frankly. I've I've come to like the Drew Locke pick a lot more as I've thought no. about it. You're not. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love the Drew Locke pick. And 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 it really stems from what Elway said about holding him two to three years behind Flacco, letting that him makes learn. It, that makes it worse. I disagree because second round value, man. He's a first round pr- projected, and he got got we got him in the second round. Okay. Yeah. John, you're talking as if you took a quarterback at six. This is a completely different. (laughs) Well, okay, yeah, relatively speaking, yeah, it's (laughs) it's a better pick than Daniel Jones. But here's Mm -hmm. here's the problem: Von Miller, Chris Harris, those guys are on the wrong side of thirty years old to be mapping out a four year plan for this team right now. Well, but they're also they also have a lot of young players, so they have the win now in Joe Flacco, and I've already discussed this, and I'm not going to start. I mean, I, I've discussed it ad nauseum, and I'm not going to discuss it anymore. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> you brought it up, so we're. <laughs> All right. They, right. they, they want to. He wants to replicate what he did in 2012, and it, I mean, he he definitely got Brock Osweiler part two. In the second I, round of the draft, uh, oh, that's dude, come on. Oh, yeah. that's rough. But, <laughs> but, but the problem is Flacco is not Peyton Manning. Flacco at 34 years old and perfectly healthy is not Peyton Manning with the fused vertebrae. No, but he, I think he is better than Peyton Manning of 2015. Well, I guess, but this defense isn't. 2015. It might be with Vic Fangio. I don't, I don't think so, man. I think we're a ways off. We'll, we'll see. 
Welcome That's to Fucking the Broncos, high. the new podcast about just Broncos. Hey, dude. Yeah. It's a pretty just high bar, it. though. That that defense was really good back yeah. then. So I'm not yeah. – I don't know that I'm sold Definitely. that they're there yet. But they, they can still – I mean, that I defense that, could still be a top-10 defense, I think. I think the run game, though, is a lot better than it was in 2015, too. But we can move on. We are here for a mock draft. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Louise Mack just went off the board to the Saints, which I think is actually pretty interesting. Um, it was a guy I was kind of high on coming out of Notre Dame and going to New Orleans. I'm, I kind of like that landing spot long term. What do you guys think? I know it's a seventh-round pick, but still, I, I, I don't mind that at all. What, yeah, I mean, they don't – how old is um, – oh, my God. Cook. How old is Jared Cook? 35? Uh, 35? Yeah. Six? Oh, it's, Jesus. He's not even that old. No. 32? Okay. So he's probably got a good couple years, but, I mean, with how tight ends develop, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely could be – Interesting here in the next couple of years. One of them I liked, one of these late rounders was Foster Moreau to uh, Oakland. Mm-hmm. I really like that pick. That one's very interesting. Yeah, I don't mind that either. I, I think that's a, that's he's, I think he's going to be a little bit of a project, but athletically, he definitely, you know, he has, he has good size. Yep. So I, I, I think there's something there. I mean, athletically, he's, he, he, he charts really well, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they use him. But, yeah, I think he's a ways away from contributing. But where you're going to get him in rookie drafts, I mean, if you have a yeah. fourth round, that's probably where he's going, you know. So I think Trayvon Wesco went late too, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. I think he might have gone in the fifth. Anyway, all right, John, what's our order here? So you guys want to go derby style? Do you want me to just randomize? Just randomize, just randomize. Set it, dude. Yeah, cool. Can do that. So talk amongst yourselves for a minute, and I'll uh, I guess in order here. Is anybody else extremely annoyed that the Bengals took Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson? Yeah, yeah I saw <laughs> that. Two, two oh, of my yeah. favorite guys went to the same <laughs> team behind Joe Mixon. I was like, come on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think Travion Williams really fits in that pass catching role. The Gio Bernard, Gio Bernard's contract is up this season i think so that one definitely made sense to me but the rodney anderson one might just be like oh if he develops and he's healthy we we have an option and we don't have to give or we don't have to sign um mixon so it's from from just a, a football regular football perspective. The the Trayvon Williams signing or the draft pick doesn't really scare me necessarily because I think he can be a really good complement to Joe Mixon's game um, with this skill set as kind of like maybe a one A one B. But the one that scares me is Rodney Anderson. I mean, I was never high on him in my process uh, to begin with because of his health. But I mean, we're talking about a guy that had ele- over eleven hundred yards in what like seven or eight games mm-hmm. um, in two thousand seventeen. And if they if they hit on him and he stays healthy, I, I'm you know I could see him eating into Joe Mixon's workload a lot, and that scares me because I'm I'm a pretty big Joe Mixon owner. I have uh, quite a few shares of him, so. Um, if they hit on him, I think that that could be uh, pretty detrimental to um, 
to Mixon's volume, but uh, I think the Travion Williams, I think he's a fine prospect, and he was one of my uh, top-rated um, running backs. I think I had him in like the top seven or so, but I think he's he's a contributor piece more than anything. Uh, he's got really good vision, can catch the ball, um, so I think he's like a 1A, 1B type thing there more than anything. Yeah. How about wow. uh, Jared, Jared Stidham to uh, New England? I know. Meh, whatever. James, yeah. James really liked that. I don't feel mad about it. I think that's a guy that you should target in late third or fourth round of your rookie drafts because the Patriots' backups seem to have a way of increasing in fantasy value. Over time, too, especially when they get traded to another place. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like when, like even if they don't play for the Patriots, I mean, look at Jimmy G, sat behind Brady, had a couple good games, fill in and stuff, and and then next thing you know, he's getting a, what, five-year contract? With You know, like those guys tend to pan out long-term in fantasy. So, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. Um, if you can if you can kind of get them uh, late, yeah, probably like third or fourth, late third, uh, early fourth pick, and you can just kind of sit on him, see how he develops, and and hope that you can kind of cash in on that that value later when it increases. Yeah. Jesse, how about your guy Keyshawn Johnson? The- Dude, this is I don't. That was probably one of the more depressing picks yeah. that I saw today. Um, I you know I posted on Twitter. I just don't know really what to make of Arizona right now. They yeah. just went out and they just crabbed like a ton of like guys that I had rated. Um, very highly, and I don't really know where where they fit in. They, I mean, they went and they grabbed Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, and Keyshawn Johnson. Those are guys that I had all rated in top 10 fantasy wide receivers for me. So um, the target distribution there at the wide receiver position is going to be – I have no idea what to make of it. And then you have Kyler Murray um, – I mean, he's coming off one of the most prolific, you know, seasons we've seen, single seasons from a quarterback that we've seen ever. And um, I think I just, I have no idea what to make of it, honestly. I was really depressed to see him go there. So I tweeted out earlier today that Cliff's King, Cliff Kingsbury is treating this draft like when I play Madden franchise. Like, yeah, dude, take yeah. all the wide receivers I like, take a yeah. second quarterback for no reason. Yep. Yep. Of of the two, though, I mean, we obviously know that uh, based on the data that we have, Hakeem Butler is, is the most dominant of them. Well, I'm mean, actually Andy Isabella is in over a longer period of time too, but he's going to fill that slot role and he can he can kind of stretch the field as well if they move him to that flanker um, uh, Z spot too. And I think uh, more than anything, it's just going to come down to who's going to eat more out of Hakeem Butler and Keyshawn Johnson. And you have Christian Kirk there too. Uh, Fitz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's just absolutely loaded. And you, I just have, uh, I think Hakeem Butler's far more athletic and he's, he's far more versatile than Keyshawn Johnson, but Keyshawn Johnson is just a sharp route runner. He was productive at Fresno. He, he had a really good, uh, large market share. Um, there proved he can handle a large workload, but, um, yeah, I just I, I have I have no idea. Those are guys I'm probably going to be taking stabs at in late second, early third because I love them. Uh, they produced and they gave us enough data to go on that says they have good situational upside. But uh, other than that, I I have no idea what to do. Yeah, I think they're going to be chucking the ball a ton, man. Oh yeah, I, I really think they're just going to be going out there chucking it, rotating guys out and off the field. So I don't think it's going to be great for fantasy. But if I was an Arizona fan, I'd be you know I'd oh, be getting yeah. kind of excited. It's going to be great for Kyler. He was already our one-on-one in Superflex, but all the weapons they've added for him, and you also can't forget about DJ, the original DJ, not the new DJ that you guys have started on this podcast, but the original (laughs) DJ. And then the development of RSJ even just means that Kyler Murray is going to have so many options to throw to. It's not unfeasible that our friend, uh, friend of the pod, Jake Anderson, said that he thinks that Kyler Murray is going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback sooner rather than later. 
all these weapons can't help or can't hurt the chances of that happening for Jake. Although I think that's still a little too high, but it definitely helps his case. I, I definitely agree there. What do you guys make of, of David Johnson, though? I, I tweeted out earlier, I'm a little bit concerned for his, his rushing attempts to go significantly down. I do understand he's a very he's a very reliable pass catcher, and uh, targets are very important, especially at the running back position in PPR formats. But um, if he takes a significant dip, if you look back at um, Cliff Kingsbury uh, and his, his college report with his running backs, I mean, the only successful, the majorly successful one in catching the ball out of the backfield was um, – DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Washington, you know, and um, he was seemed to be kind of an outlier there. And he was the only running back to hit over a thousand yards since Cliff started uh, at Texas Tech in 2013. Only only running back to hit over a thousand yards rushing and only running back to see over 130 attempts carries. Um, a lot of people say, you know, that that DJ's value is you know, it is predicated on him being able to catch the ball, but I think it's, it's predicated on him being able to be an even mix of both. And if I see rushing attempts go down, um, I'm concerned. Uh, last year he had over 250 and he hit about 900 yards on the ground, which is great. But if you decrease that by a hundred touches, what are we looking at on the ground? And then how much are we looking at from, from scrimmage? And then how many times is Kyler going to be just chucking the ball up with all those wide receivers and all that talent there? Um, that's concerning for me, but, um, I mean, you could get him at a discount. I don't. I don't think he's going to be worth the top five in startups for sure, um, or even maybe even. I mean, maybe top ten. I. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I land on him though. Well, I mean, I, I still think you're looking probably at 230 carries, right? And he's probably going to be more efficient, just because they're not going to be able to stack the box. You have a running quarterback. So you're going to have to keep a spy there, and I'm sure they're going to be running. And and I don't know enough about air raid, but they're going to be running enough RPO that they're going to have to be honest, keep keep themselves honest with, or defenses will have to keep themselves honest with uh, Murray and running the ball. They're going to throw a ton, obviously, with all of the wide receivers they do have now. So I I think the efficiency will go up. I definitely can see what you're saying with the touches going down, but um, I still think he's a top 10 running back. I think I honestly think if they if if they're going to do this, if they're going to throw a rookie receiver in and rely on some of the younger receivers that they have, uh, like um, like Christian Kirk and like the guys that they've drafted, it's going to be I, that's a mess. That I you do not want that. I would think yeah. you would want at least year one to rely on that running game, work off a of play action, put Kyler on the move, and not be. Th- flinging the ball 35 times a game. So I got to think if, the, if this coaching staff really wants to compete this year, wants to, you know, wants to at least kind of be fair to Kyler Murray and not, you know, put too much on his plate, they better rely on the running game a little bit more because man, that would be, that would be uh, I think that would be a disaster if they're flinging the ball all over the field over 30 times a game. Yeah, no, you would you would think. I just I have a concern there that that Kyler's going to also eat into a chunk of those rushing attempts. So, I just think you know if yeah. if if you're you know you're, I could definitely see a, a split. You know where where Kyler Murray has 150 attempts and David Johnson has 150 as well throughout that. You know, come season's end, it just depends. You know, it depends on 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 whether or not they are going to run uh, give him. I mean, he is going to be the guy. You know what I'm saying? There's I'm, I'm not scared of anybody on on the ground outside of Kyler eating into his touches. So when they do decide to run the ball, if it's not Kyler, it's going to be David Johnson. And I guess you can hang your hat on that. But any concern when it comes to decreases uh, in in expected. Um, 
and expected market share there is kind of concerning. So um, I, I saw a lot of people just today say, oh, this just makes David Johnson a lock. Like he's a lock. And I just, you know, went back and looked at some of the numbers, a little bit of the history. And it's like, I think there's some concern there. I think there's a little bit more concern than we're willing to admit, you know, that that, that DJ might not be able to um, kind of escape where, where he's at right now. Interesting pick uh, for Miami. Um, oh, a couple around the, oh, Miles Gaskin. Wow. And Chandler Cox. And Chandler Cox. So that's that's interesting because I think we can all agree there was no really set running back there. Um, anybody that's established themselves enough to hold anybody off. So Miles Gaskin's going to have a chance to win a starting gig in Miami. I don't know about that, man. I mean, his size yeah. really concerns me. I think he's a gadget player at best. Like, and his say. and his usage as well, too. I mean, he was yeah. he was used a lot in college. Yeah, I mean, I mean you can you can you really say Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balaj have that job locked up? Oh, well, let's not talk bad about Kalen Balaj now. Uh, yeah, not. I mean, yet. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Kalen Balaj has anything, or, or or I'm talking bad about Kalen Balaj. I'm just saying, can you tell me that he has that job locked up? Oh, certainly not. Certainly no, not. I don't think we've seen enough from them. Um, it's just I, it's I, it's I interesting. I, I I mean, it's a seventh round running back. We can't. But I yeah, mean, but no, I agree there. But going on safety wise, I mean, if you're going to invest on a guy there, it'd probably be Kenyon Drake. What was he yeah, fringe? I, I mean, he was fringe RB one last year, right? In PPR formats, and that was on extremely limited touches with Frank Gore ahead of him. I mean, if you're going safety there, yeah. But I mean, Miles Gaskin, why not take a stab at him late? You know, in, in rookie drafts, I definitely agree there. Um, he's a great talent. You know, he's uh, he's he's a good he's a good running back. I just have concerns with his usage, and you can you can look at that both ways though. You can say, okay, well he he was able to sustain. I'd have to go back and look at how many games if if he missed any in college. You can look at that and say he sustained that level of play over a four year period, and he came out fine. So he can handle that in the NFL, right? Um, on the other side, you're you're able to to look at it and be like, okay, that might be concerning with how much they used him. Um, is how how long can he sustain that in the NFL when you have much higher level of play and athleticism um, across the board? All right, so I think we are ready for our mock draft here. Yeah, we can get it going. So uh, here's the order that was randomly generated, um, mostly. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm randomly going first. And then, uh, Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> this is botched, dude. This is botched from the beginning, man. I I had to I had to redo that uh, that generator so many times to get. John's just so excited to just... take Kyler Murray. I yeah. traded him the one hundred and one in a league we're in together the other day, and he said, "I don't have any of these. I'm so excited to get Kyler Murray." Yeah, so he had to do it in our mock too. That's right. Yeah, at least in a mock, and live vicariously through the rest of you guys who actually hold on to your draft picks. So after me, though, it's going to be Matt. He'll have the, the second pick and then obviously the eighth pick and so on. Uh, Stompy, Bobby, Jesse, and James. So I also have a, uh, if you guys want it, I've got a, um, I've got a sheet. Uh, I've got a Google Doc where we can kind of keep track of it. Uh, yeah, please. Yeah, if you want that, yeah. Um, everybody, just uh, send me in that group chat. Or, just make sure it uh, doesn't have your own personal rankings on there, because I don't want to go off that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course you do. Um, yeah. No, I, I won't. I won't give you a cheat sheet. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If you guys want to give me your your email addresses in that group chat, and I'll send Sweet. it over. 
I'll share it with you. And I thought we could just keep track ourselves. We're all big boys here. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of a dummy though, so it's I fine. will screw it up. Cool. Man, remind me to I, never go on a game show about like memorization with you guys. Yeah, no, don't, especially with me, dude. <laughs> I yeah, will I'll, draft DK Metcalf twice today. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> So I'll make my pick real quick, and then uh, and I'll send it over while uh, while Matt's uh, making his his pick at one hundred two. Um, mine's pretty easy. It's Kyler Murray here in a super flex league. You have to. I mean, it, it, we've got a quarterback here who we know is going to start right away. Uh, the the only competition he was potentially going to have just got traded to Miami. I don't. I I, I don't feel quite as optimistic about this as jake anderson does uh, I, I i think this is they kind of set them up themselves up for a pretty uh pretty shaky situation here i think but the fact of the matter is he's going to he's going to start he's got that you know the rich rebar konami code so um he uh he can produce in year one um, probably better than anybody at any other position in this entire draft, in my opinion. So it's it's Kyler Murray by quite a bit. Um, and, uh, again, I've made myself number one for that reason. It's a nice, easy one. Doesn't require a whole lot of research or analysis. Well, and I, I don't think – I don't think Jake necessarily meant this first year. I mean, going into year two and three probably – can be considered there just because you're so young at wide receiver. You're in a new offense. If I mean, even just like one of those wide receivers that they picked to develop and you have Christian Kirk across, you're going to have a pretty lethal offense. Um, assuming that the air raid offense transfers over into the NFL. He's, he's by far the safest pick here, too. I mean, it's just you know exactly what you're going to get with Kyler Murray. You're going to get a guy who's going to start game one now. I mean, Arizona doesn't have any competition for him. Um, so if you need a quarterback in a super flex, you're getting a guy who can help you immediately. And he's just so happens to be the top rated guy at that position right. by, for most people. So, I mean, I and Arizona did an excellent job of adding receivers and adding help around him. Um, so, you know, I it, it makes sense. I mean, this is... This is the 1.01. I think it's it's pretty clear at this point. This should be the guy. He has the least amount of questions around him of uh, of everyone. All right, Matt. All right. Uh, I, I I battled a little bit. I don't think this one was as clear for me. And I know this is a super flex draft and a super flex show. Real quick, Matt. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I ahead. do want to I do want to clarify something, John. Are we doing tight end premium? Are we making this? Super flex tight end premium. Uh, let's not. Let's okay. let's not. Okay. I don't. I and and I don't think that we need to. So okay. I I don't think that that really change. This is my own personal opinion, but I'm gonna throw it out there real quick. I don't think that that really changes anything for the tight ends. To be totally yeah. honest, so it would have to be a pretty. It'd have to be like a trade addicts one point seven five premium to really change much for me. I don't know that it Good. changes a lot within the position group, but I think it changes my order a, a little bit. So that's that's the only reason really? why I was asking. But yeah, well, and and I think that that's something that, that's important that we need to talk about. Then um, that we need to get into it at some point here. I mean, we can wait until the tight ends start coming off the board, but 
I my my logic on it is just that none of these guys to me are positional starters. Is the way I'm kind of approaching this. Not in year one. I mean, as as much as I would love to see, you know, some of these running backs, even as as get into low end RB two territory, I don't see it happening. They're all in in committees and in bad situations. So I'm I'm viewing the rest of this draft as just kind of a a big pool of flex considerations. And I'll be honest, guys, I would take these tight ends over most of the wide receivers and running backs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, that's going to set up my pick uh, for a little bit of discussion then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, listen, I, 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 like I was, I was uh, saying, you know, I know it's a super flex and the quarterbacks are definitely, you know, going to be going off the board towards the top here, but I'm going to take my, my one Oh one. He was my one Oh one going into the draft. I think his landing spot is ideal. I'm going to go with Nikhil Harry, super athletic. I love the offense that he's playing in. I think Belichick can not only get the most with him. I understand the idea that New England spreads out the ball, um, and that's fine, but I think Harry is athletic enough, and he can do enough that Belichick's going to find a way to work him into the offense pretty quickly. And if I'm looking at the other quarterbacks here, like Dwayne Haskins, I think it's going to take a little while. I think he'll get on the field year one. Drew Locke, I like. I like more than Dwayne Haskins, but I don't think he's getting on the field year one. And with the 102, I kind of need somebody who can who can kind of contribute right away for my team. So I'm going to go with uh, Nikhil Harry. Yeah, John and I have gotten a little bit of flack for this. Uh, I don't love the, the spot just because of the questions that exist. Uh, Nikhil Harry wasn't fantastic at getting separation. Uh, he's great with the ball in his hands. Um, I think he's ideally fit for big slot, uh, but you have Edelman there. Uh, Brady likes to use Edelman. So for me, Nikhil Harry turns into the wide receiver two there, and he's more on the outside. Uh, so that's my concern. Plus Brady. I mean, how long is Brady going to be there for one or two years? And then what? So I just, for me, though I do like what he brings, I just don't love the landing spot for him to go that early for me. I'm going to give a counter there, which is that you're saying he's a big slot or that he can't really get separation. We saw Brandon Cooks there who also has some trouble getting separation, and he did pretty well for fantasy purposes. So if Ankeel can even come close to Cook's uh, production with the Patriots, I think people will be plenty happy taking him towards the top of their draft. Another thing, too, is that Edelman's 33. He's going to be 34 next year, and he's in a contract year. And Bill Belichick doesn't always show, um, you know, any type of allegiance to anybody, you know, not named Tom Brady. And I'm not going to get into get into it too much, but it, it and and even with Brady, it seems like it's forced by by Kraft. So I, I'm not sure how long Nikhil Harry has to wait before he gets that primary slot role. But I think this year they can kind of kind of gauge, you know, whether or not he needs that. And if he does, then, you know, maybe that signals the end of, uh, of you know, the, the Edelman era after this year. Um, but either way, I think Nikhil Harry can, can play his way onto the field there. Outside of Julian Edelman, there's not a whole lot there. Um, so I think he gets early playing time. And I think there's a, uh, a scenario where he could end up being the primary slot receiver for, for Brady, at least for another year. Yeah, and he did play on the outside at Arizona State a decent amount. Um, and I think one of the things to keep in mind, too, is, 
you know, once he gets the ball in his hands, this guy's extremely comfortable moving moving after the catch. And so just any way that that, uh, that offense and McDaniels can find a way to get the ball in Harry's hand, I think they can be creative with that. And then his ability to make plays after the catch is like is next level in this class. It was it's it's gonna he's gonna be a pretty polarizing rookie throughout this offseason. I think it's gonna be a kind of polarizing pick at 102 that I mean one of the arguments in, in favor of it is who else do you take um, <laughs> exactly um, but so I'm I'm glad that we had Matt on that one because I uh, I was I was pretty confident that he was gonna come up with a a good a, a pick with a strong case to make so um, but we can uh, we can move on here to number three and stompy all right so the there's two guys here that I would have in mind, really three, uh, but two that I strongly consider here. And it being not, now I'm rethinking again. I think 1.03 is going to be Josh Jacobs for me. Uh, he lands in a spot that has a ton of touches, doesn't really have any competition for touches. As much as I love Chris Warren, he's not going to beat out Josh Jacobs. Crawls a jag really at this point. Uh, so the guy's going to get – I mean, he could approach 300 touches on the season in his rookie season, um, and that's always going to be productive. Uh, the other guy I was thinking was Dwayne Haskins just because I think he's going to be the starter right away, but I do have questions about that offense and about Haskins in general. So, yeah, I think the safe pick here for me is Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I'm not high in the player, but I, I think he by far of the running backs – has the clearest path to carries and the clearest paths to path to early relevance. So that being said, I mean, I, I, I kind of want that guy. I want, I want the guy that's going to, you know, I'm going to know right away what I have with him for the most part, because he's going to have opportunity to show me. Um, so I, there's something to be said just for that, just for the opportunity to know, you know, kind of the prospect that you have in his role moving forward. So um, yeah, I, it, it makes sense to me. The pick does, I, again, I'm not high on the player, but um, the pick makes sense to me just because of the opportunity. I think that's that's huge for him. Sounds like we're moving on to the one. Yep. Four <laughs> uh, so this is pretty easy. Stompy pretty much made the pick for me. I'm going Dwayne Haskins. John always says this and about startups, but it's true about rookie drafts. You'll never get quarterbacks cheaper than either in the startup or rookie draft. So while I like Josh Jacobs, if it was between Jacobs and Haskins for me, I'm taking Haskins with the idea that if he becomes a starter and shows pretty much even just being an average quarterback, I can probably trade him later for a guy like Jacobs plus. So easy pick for me, Dwayne Haskins on to 105. I don't even need you guys to discuss it. Oh, no, we're, we're discuss <laughs> yes, you do. Well, I was going to compliment you, but never mind. <laughs> I wrote it wrong, I think, in the show sheet. Go ahead, Matt. You can give your compliment. I'll allow it. Uh, great job not picking Daniel Jones. <laughs> don't, spoil, don't spoil my next pick. It's really tempting for him, I'm sure. So, yeah, fair, I mean, he's, he's just staring me right in the face right now. I don't know what I'm going to do here. <laughs> so um, hold on. So I don't necessarily buy that Dwayne Haskins, even if he's average, is going to have more value next season than, like, let's say Josh Jacobs gets 300 touches. It finishes as a top 16 running back. I don't buy that. 
Uh, With and the I class don't... that's coming in, Stompy, that's going to steal everyone's jobs and the fact that everyone's going to committees, you don't think a starting quarterback is worth more than a running back in most cases, unless you're talking about, like, man, I was about to say Todd Gurley, but I can't say Todd Gurley anymore. No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't. John, sick him. I'm doing it for you, but you sick him. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no get the, yeah. I get that. I get that argument, but I don't think Oakland is one of those situations. I mean, you can, if if he doesn't perform, sure, but they spent a first round pick on him. They're going to give him carries. They're not going to, it's going to be tough for them to argue that it's a good idea to get running backs in back to back, early running backs in back to back years. Uh, to me, this, this is Josh Jacob, Jacob's job to lose. And I don't think he's going to lose it because he's just going to get a ton of touches and he's going to probably be productive with that offensive line. Yeah, I won't fault anyone who takes Jacobs over Haskins, but honestly, the, having a young quarterback in one of those two positions for you in a super flex league, assuming that Haskins is average, because it's true, he could be a first round bust, we don't know. And if he is, that's terrible for everybody. But if he is even just average, that allows you in future years to just continually try to hit on wide receivers or rookies that are much easier generally to hit on. So I'll take the chance that Haskins is average over the chance that Jacobs is a stud pretty much every time. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And I, I've got Haskins at 102 personally, just just because it's so hard to find quarterbacks, you know, beyond your startup. And the fact that he's likely he likely gets on the field at some point in 2019. And it, like Bobby said, I mean, just the potential there. Um, to, for him to to fill a a need that's so hard to fill, uh, I'll I'll take him there. But yeah, I yeah, Josh Jacobs is uh, that's also a, a the type of pick that I would normally make in a rookie draft. So I'm good with that too. What what's 105, Jesse? Oh man, so I had a couple options that I really wanted to go here. I could I could kind of go for very high ceiling in a player that I that I think. Um, kind of fell in a good situation i could go with um uh jj arcega whiteside who i'm who i'm really high on right now uh, coming into his situation but i think i'm gonna sway a little bit and i'm gonna go david montgomery here um i think he's a pretty good value and i really like where he landed i think him and Tariq cohen are going to be a really good duo um and i from everything that i've seen from him in in college he handled a massive workload um at iowa state uh great vision um, very elusive, very, uh, very patient. And I think his running style is just going to cater to that offense really well. Uh, Nagy found himself a, a, a Kareem Hunt style kind of guy. And I really think that, um, he's going to really, really, uh, come in immediately and, and be that guy for, um, for, for the Bears. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take him there. Nice. It, what is, uh, all right. I'm, I'm kind of curious about putting Montgomery up against Miles Sanders. Like, how does everybody feel about that one? Is, is it a huge difference? Would anybody else do it differently there? I, I would have, uh, more because I, I have, con I, and I like, I like the naggy, the Kareem hunt, um, naggy comp, uh, because I mean that's what I mean that's his best comp. David Montgomery's best comp is Kareem Hunt. Obviously, Matt Nagy having been there the first season uh, for Kareem Hunt's career. But I'm afraid that Tariq Cohen's going to take away some of that pass catching opportunity. Uh, though I mean they they they're able to employ Tariq Cohen in a lot of ways, a lot like uh, Tariq Cohen 
in Kansas City. So, I mean, there's an argument there. I just like Miles Sanders for the future. Maybe not this next year because they have Howard. They have Clement. Uh, they have Wendell Smallwood. Josh Adams. Josh Adams. So, it's, it's pretty crowded, but I believe – Three of those guys, no, four of them, because Josh Adams, I think it, his contract is up this season too because he was an undrafted free agent. I don't know if that's correct or not, but um, at least three of those guys, their contracts are up, and it frees up Sanders to become a three-down back there. Uh, so while I don't like him next year, I like him for the future years behind that Eagles O-line. I think I think Miles Sanders, it depends on the way you play fantasy football. I think Miles Sanders gives you a lot more upside. Like I feel like I know what I'm getting with David Montgomery. He's like a two down back. He definitely fits in that role in Chicago. When I was watching his tape, I saw, you know, a guy who could get five, six yards consistently in first and second down, but he's not gonna have that explosion and that breakaway type potential that Miles Sanders has, which is why I'm gonna have Miles Sanders uh, just a little bit higher than David Montgomery. I have Montgomery higher personally. I am a bit concerned about Cohen, but uh, I got a lot of flack for talking about Miles Sanders not going to my favorite landing spot. And it's because every year for the past few seasons with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, we've seemed to say, okay, this guy was just traded there or taken there to be Philadelphia's lead back. Jay Ajay is now their lead back. Jordan Howard is now their lead back. Josh Adams is their lead back. Wait, no, this guy is their lead back. I think <laughs> Doug Peterson is going to the Bill B uh, school of I hate fantasy and I hate fantasy running backs. I want to use a committee. And honestly, I think the league in general is trending towards a committee. So I'm not going to knock a guy for being great on two downs like Mon I think Montgomery will, because I think that we're trending much more away from the workhorse role. And because of that, because there's much more of a committee in the Eagles offense, I'll take the shot on Montgomery personally. Okay. So we're on to 1.06. Yeah. What do you got, James? Well, it, it, this is interesting because I, oh I, uh, Miles Sanders is definitely in my thought process. Quarterback always is, you know, in, in super flex. And um, there's only one receiver gone too. And uh, there's a bunch of receivers I like here, but I'm going to sway and I'm, I'm going to take a guy who I'm so high on talent-wise. He was my number one rated tight end at the time, and I think he he opened that gap a little bit with landing spot. I'm going to take Noah Fant. Um, I really like him going to Denver. I think it's a fantastic landing spot for him. Joe Flacco uses the tight end so much, and even if Flacco's only one year or, or two years as the starter there, you're going to get a young quarterback who's going to be going into you know his first year starting, relying on the tight end too. So I I think uh, I think Noah Fant um, is 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 my pick here. I think he's going to be a, a red zone threat too. Um, I think uh, outside of a guy like Cortland Sutton, he's he's probably the main red zone threat for the Broncos. So I think this guy's going to get a ton of looks in the red zone. I think he can stretch the seam, and I think. He, he could buck the trend, and he could actually um, – I think he's going to have the potential to uh, contribute right away uh, at tight end, to be honest. And I know that's not the norm for tight ends. We don't see that a lot. But I think he's going to have the opportunity to. So that was the one. I, I didn't, I didn't want to be the one to bring this up because I didn't want to sound like too much of a homer. But that, I mean, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like, I mean, as much as I love Cortland Sutton, there's a chance that Noah Fant is the most dangerous weapon on that, in the passing game at least, on that offense right now. 
especially with the way Joe Flacco uses the tight ends. So, I mean, it's it, it's awfully tough for me to not put Noah Fant in the top three, personally. Um, I, I think that he's in the discussion with with Nikhil Harry uh, for for a, for a top three pick. I've been hearing a lot of like people not being happy about Noah Fant to Denver, and I really don't understand it. No, it's a, it's a it's on. I think it's perfect because there's enough wide receivers there that defenses aren't going to totally hone in on him, but not so much that I think they're really going to eat away at his production. And the way that Fant could get to the second level, like. I, I just I love I love the pairing. I think Joe Flacco is going to need a reliable tight end, like you said. So I love it, and I, and I was going to take Noah Fant if he, if he had fallen to me at one hundred and eight. So you wouldn't have gotten him because I would have got. I was <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I, I it's a there's there's the, that concern that young tight ends don't necessarily produce in year one. I think Fant's a little bit different because he's more of a he's close to a big slot type of wide receiver. Um, he just moves like that. Uh, he's a great route runner. He's got uh, good hands. So there, it's a lot like Evan Ingram. I think it's a, it's a valid comparison. Um, he's a lot like Evan Ingram. Uh, Ingram only really had a good season because Odell Beckham Jr. was down, but they don't have an Odell Beckham Jr. They have very young wide receivers there that are also developing. So, yeah, it's it's valid. And you have Scrangelo there who is coming from an offense that just had a record-breaking tight end in George Kittle and probably and likely will use, use that type of offense again. So, yeah, I, I really like that pick here. I'm learning that you guys are a bit higher on uh, Fant than I am, and I think – one of the reasons is I've heard these sorts of arguments before, right? When we said, oh, and Joku coming out, he's a move tight end. He's not going to be subject to the typical young tight end development or uh, last year with Gazeki or just a few other guys. And I haven't quite seen it yet where this like Joker role tight end actually breaks out year one, except for guys like Engram and Kittle took some time to develop. So I think I'm perfectly fine with taking him here. I just think that you take him not expecting necessarily a year one breakout, but knowing that if you hold on to him long term, you're probably going to be fine. It's just expecting that year one breakout from him that I'd be a little hesitant saying, if you need that for your team to compete right now, and that's what you're expecting, don't make that pick. But if you think, okay, this will help me long term compete. Sure. Great. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. But anybody who said that about Najoku should have been, been, I don't know, publicly brought out um, because draft analyst. Well, Najoku just, he, he was very raw coming out. Like he, he hadn't played the position all that long. And so for, for anyone to think that he was going to come into the league and just, um, you know, come, you know, be, be good year one. um, You know, that, that the signs just weren't there for that. And then Jaseki just, I, I, I never bought that landing spot, um, you know, for him either. So I think this is, is a marriage where the landing spot works, the system works. Um, you see a, a path to early playing time. So while I don't expect a breakout, I do think that the opportunity might be a little bit better for him because I think he's more polished than Najoku. And I think he went to a better landing spot um, than Gusecki. But um, I, I do agree that, you know, I mean, I, I, with this pick, I'm not making it and thinking, man, I can use Noah Fant right away. Um, but this is a guy who I think years from now, you know, once once the dust has settled after a few years, um, we can look at, back at this draft and I can go, you know what, I'm pretty happy with that pick. So, 
And I think it's something that you probably, I, I, I mean, I think it's a very valid point what Bobby's saying, but it, it's also something that we've got to keep in mind with all these receivers too. So, you know, you're kind of drafting them knowing that you're not going to get a lot in 2019. That's just kind of, that's, it, that's just not the way it works for them. So I'm going to, with 107, I'm going with Miles Sanders with that being said, because he, I do think that he produces in 2019. It's, it's, I would, I would have loved to have seen him go much, much earlier than this, but in this landing spot in Philadelphia, where they're already just, they're, they're so oversaturated on that running back depth chart. I don't see how he gets a workhorse type of load with, with all the guys behind him. I, I mean, I think that he's probably the lead back, but I think that they're going with the same type of split that they always have. And uh, so it knocks him down a little bit, but I think this is also a, a tear break for the running backs. So this is, this is the last guy that I would feel comfortable with as a potential 2019 contributor at the running back position. Yeah, I think I agree with that too. Um, I like Sanders a lot and I think his talent is going to show, I, th I think he'll be, I think I think he'll probably still get the majority of carries in Philadelphia this year, just because I think talent wise, I mean, who's who's the most talented back that they have there? Jordan Howard, yep. and I think I think we all kind of know that Jordan Howard is. I mean, he's okay, but you know he's <laughs> he's limited in what he can do, right? I mean, so I, I think Miles Sanders is probably the most talented back there, and so I think talent ends up winning out. Um, so I do I do think John that he contributes this year. I agree with that. Um, I don't know how much, like I said, because I think all these guys are going to have roles. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mind the pick long-term. Um, and it's one of those things where maybe not this year, but like, uh, like Stompy pointed out, maybe next year, you know, is the year where um, he really kind of gets, gets the run of, uh, of things, um, you know, in that Philly backfield. All right. I've already, I've already said my son Sanders. So yeah, so have I. Yeah. So we're on to the 108 then. Is there we are on to the 108. All right. Um, I debated. I'm almost currently still debating two people, but I think I am going to lean towards uh, what we talked about earlier of you're never going to get a quarterback cheaper than in the, than in the startup like we're doing here or the rookie draft, I should say, like we're doing here. And uh, I'm going to go with my uh, current best quarterback available, which is Drew Locke uh, Adam Mizzou. I'm higher on Drew Locke, I have found in this process, than a lot of people, but I think Locke puts really good velocity on his balls. I think he can throw all three levels of the field. I think he has really solid arm strength, even if it's not quite what we've seen right from like Kyler or Tyree Jackson. I think he has the ability to navigate all three levels of the field. Um, he has some mechanics issues, but I, I really do think they're going to redshirt him, and he's going to be able to uh, have time to work on that. I think he would do best from a redshirt, and Four, I, I can't undervalue four years as a starter in the SEC and consistently improving uh, throughout that time. I know we talk about his accuracy numbers, but if you look at his touchdown interception ratio, that's actually really good. So there's a lot I like about Drew Locke, and I think he's a gamer type quarterback too. Like kind of what we see out of that, the things we love out of Baker Mayfield. I'm not comparing him to Baker Mayfield, but like that gamer type mentality where, where people rally around him. I saw that a lot at Mizzou, and he wasn't working with very much either. I'll tell you with, with at you know, if you combine four years of talent at Mizzou, it's probably not six weeks worth of talent at Oklahoma. So 
I do think Drew Locke has a lot of upside and potential, so I'm happy to take him at 108. I'm gonna I'm gonna let uh, James fawn a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with everything Matt said. I really like Drew Locke a lot. Um, I think it's a it's a nice landing spot because of like Matt said, you know, he gets a year to learn. He gets a year to to sit and maybe even two, depending. But I mean, mm -hmm. he gets he gets some time to sit. He gets some time to learn. He gets some time to get familiar with. With the uh, with the offense and with the targets there, um, with the uh, the supporting cast that he's going to have, and I think he's going to benefit from that. It's going to give the coaching staff time to work with him on the fundamentals, on you know, on the the mechanical things that he needs to fix to become accurate, um, you know, consistently, and you know, not just show flashes of it. So um, I. I I, everything Matt said, I totally agree with. It's what I've been saying on Drew Lock too. Um, I think it's a good pick here, and I think you know, in the long run, uh, again, this isn't a pick that you're going to grab and say, "Hey, I can I can use him right away in a super flex." But it's a guy that I think you're you're making an investment in, and you know, within a year, maybe two uh, max, you know, you're going to start seeing return on that investment. So I like it. Well, so I, I'm going to say this. I, I my reaction yesterday was relatively adverse. Uh, I didn't like at the time that they traded up to get him, but as I looked at it more and more, and I know John still doesn't like it, uh, <laughs> I am starting to like the situation as a whole. I know we can't ever buy that a quarterback's going to develop into something, but I like that Elway wants him to learn under Flacco for, it sounds like two or three years. I mean, he compared it to the Favre-Rogers uh, relationship. And no, we're not comparing those two to Favre and Rodgers. They're, they're not – well, at this point, they're not Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and it's hard to compare them. But there's a lot of things you can't teach. One of them is being arm talent. I mean, the guy has awesome arm talent, like Stafford-level arm talent. I'm not going to say he's Patrick Mahomes, but he's got Stafford-level arm talent. And if he can learn under pressure to not make – bad decisions to not and, and and to have consistent arm angles and make those change arm angles when he needs to and not just because then i think you're looking at a guy that can be a franchise quarterback in the future i mean the guy can make some fantastic um off-platform throws and I, you just you can't teach that so the, the things you can teach are footwork the things you can teach are making better decisions and i i'm liking this pick more and more for the broncos uh, real quick before you get off, uh, Drew Locke, I'll I'll say that I do I do like him as somebody that you can invest in and hope that he pays off. I, I get the ceilings high, um, but I probably would have waited. Me personally, waited a little bit longer than the 108. I mean, he's probably somebody that I'm targeting like later in maybe maybe the back end, like the 112, maybe early second. And uh, from what I saw on tape, I mean, he for for me. Um, under pressure, it looked like he struggled to make decisions. He relied on his arm a lot and tried to fit the ball into tight windows when they didn't need to be forced there. Uh, I like the confidence there, but I think that can lead to a lot of turnovers in his future. Granted, he didn't have very many in college. His, his, um, uh, his touchdown interception ratio wasn't horrible, but that does kind of worry me, especially in um, a division like the AFC West when we have some pretty elite pass rushing there. Um, but um, 
he is a, a high ceiling guy that I will be investing in. Definitely. I just think that you'd probably want to go with a little bit safer earlier or the, in the, in the middle of the first right here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't absolutely hate it. But like we discussed earlier, this class is really up in the air right now and everything's really raw. So I, I definitely understand the need, especially in a super flex too. I mean, you definitely want to grab those top end quarterbacks and, and even if you have to stash them for a season or two, uh, as he sits behind there, uh, behind Flacco. I mean, I get it. So real quick, outside of your Chargers, are we talking about the Chiefs and the Raiders as uh, having outstanding pass rushers? Uh, well, I mean, I de- yeah, the Chargers for sure. We no, he definitely a- was not talking about that. Okay, <laughs> okay, I wanted to clarify. He, he was talking about the Broncos so, and the Chargers. Even, and even, yes, definitely the Broncos and the Chargers. And even so, if you're looking at the influx in, in, in DBs there, I mean, I know it doesn't look like it right now, but we're talking about – um, I mean, the Raiders, you know, that I, I know that they have Gary on Conley that's looking to come out uh, and he's, you know, he's had a rough couple a start to his career and stuff, but they're looking, I know that they just drafted a couple of DBs, I believe. Um, and they're looking to get better on the back end there. Uh, Nasir Adderley was just drafted. We have Derwin James over there at the Chargers. We're looking lethal, you know, but then you do go, go to a team like the Broncos who, um, I know on the back end of their their defense is looking a little a little sketchy right now, but they do have an elite pass rush in Bradley Chubb, Von Miller. Um, I think that in in a division like that, and then you have a lot of high profile wide receivers. We're talking about Keenan Allen. I mean, I hope Cortland Sutton and uh, Deshaun Hamilton can really step up. But it looks to be a lot of vertical work that's going to go into to these offenses in in the AFC West. And um, I just think Locke is going to be more developmental than I would like to take at a 108 spot. But I get the need at the 108. I definitely understand it, and I understand wanting to kind of secure one of those top-end guys there. He's just my preference um, from what I saw on tape and everything. I, I think um, he's somebody that I would have waited a little bit longer for. But I get it. Yeah, fair, fair enough. So, so Stompy, you're next, man, the 109. I'm interested here at what you're going to do because there's some names on here that I think you're probably considering. Really, there's only one I think that I'm considering here. It's uh, T.J. Hawkinson. Uh, he, a lot of people think he landed in a relatively poor position, and they're going to be or poor spot, and they're going to be comparing Eric Ebron and T.J. Hawkinson at that situation. Both drafted. I think Eric Ebron was drafted tenth. Uh, Hawkinson drafted eighth. Uh, but this is a brand new offense under Daryl Bevel. We've seen Daryl Bevel use tight ends. I mean, he had Jimmy Graham in Seattle. Uh, I don't know who else is there that's going to take a ton of targets. I mean, Marvin Jones is there, but he's getting up there in age. You have Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola, and then, um, oh my God, running back. Good Lord. Carry on Johnson. Carry on Johnson. Uh, so, I mean, really, you can see the path to him being the second best pass catcher on that team. And I think it's going to be a balanced offense. TJ Hawkinson was the best tight end in this class for me. He's got great hands. He's not near the route runner that uh, Irv Smith or uh, Fant are, but he's, he's a great route runner. He's very athletic. Again, not as athletic, but he's going to be on the field consistently early on because the dude is a fierce blocker. So he's going to get his chances early on. And again, this is one of those we can't we can't trust tight ends to break out in their first year. But Hawkinson's one of those guys that you can definitely see it because he's already got his blocking developed. So for me, 
in 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 one and maybe two years that this guy is going to be a top six tight end. I think he's bet he's probably the best we've seen in a while. Um, even even including that 2017 class, he's better than anybody in that 2017 class in my mind too. So the guy has fantastic hands. He can block. He's going to be on the field consistently, and I think he's going to get a chance to contribute very early. I like that pick a lot. That was the other guy when I said I was still going back and forth right before I made the pick. It was between Locke and Hawkinson for, for everything you just said. Yeah, I like it too. I like the landing spot. I, I totally agree with everything you just said, Stompy. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we can move on to Bobby. Bobby, interesting uh, decision you have here. So there are a lot of wide receivers still on the board, and but you're yeah. never going to get a quarterback cheaper. Than what <laughs> no, now, right? yeah, so, I'm, I'm oh, not doing that. All right, yeah, uh, do it, do it, get on. At this point, <laughs> I have currently, and I'm still figuring out my first round ranks, but I do currently have DK Metcalf as my number five in Superflex. And if I was realistically on the clock in 109, that means that my team was a playoff contender last year. And maybe it just needs a player with huge upside like DK to carry it to the championship. And so I know a lot of people are down on DK and I totally get it. I've heard some people say he's this year's Kevin White. And I understand why you're afraid of an athletic freak who doesn't have a lot of college production because of injuries or whatever. But with the news about Doug Baldwin possibly never playing again, I think DK paired with Russ is a match made in heaven personally. I know a lot of people are also worried that Russ isn't going to throw the ball that much, but at 109, I'm happy to take the upside swing on DK. The only thing I'm mad about is that you took him in front of me because I was going to take him next. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I th- honestly, I think that's a good pick. This this late, uh, we know how um, the hit rates look the, the further we get, even after like the 105, 106-ish. And to get a guy with that much upside um, in an offense that I think a lot of people um, – they kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Underrate. Yeah, well, they they automatically um, associate is the word I'm looking. They associate it with the the zone running scheme that that um, Schottenheimer and and Pete Carroll have. And although that they they are based on that, they do have a, a vertical passing um, offensive scheme where they have both outside wide receivers just kind of stretch the field. They have the slot guy cover the middle, and they kind of bump those tight ends out into the flats and. Um, in that, in that offense, I think DK kind of fits perfectly. You want him to be on a vertical passing scheme where he can just stretch the bounds of that field, um, use his catch radius, his large body, uh, has a really great release off the line of scrimmage played on, on one side, primarily, um, in college, which I don't see as an issue if he's in a scheme like this, because you want to get him on an Island where he can just release off the line of scrimmage, use that big frame and just body DBs at the next level. Um, he's one guy that physically, I'm definitely not worried about any DB. Just uh, maybe I'm not worried about them manhandling him. Maybe um, from a technical aspect, he'll have to get used to it, but he has one of the better releases on in any wide receiver in this class. And uh, I just think he's, he's a better fit than a lot of people want to give him credit for. I know that Seattle's going to run the football, but I think that um, DK has massive, massive upside to being a big play guy, as well as being um, a, a big red zone threat there as well. Seems like there aren't many other comments about DK, so maybe we should move along. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll just say this: like I, I don't like DK. I didn't like DK coming out, but he found himself in a good fit, especially with 
the news that Baldwin uh, may be retiring. You basically have uh, Tyler Lockett who can fit in that. I mean, he, he ran out of the slot when Baldwin was hurt. He was effective all season. You got a field stretcher in DK. We'll see if his route tree can develop further. But with how Russ throws that deep ball, I really like this spot. I think it's underrated, and I think Jesse's right that people are really sleeping on DK and and this landing spot. Yeah, DK will definitely still be at the top of my board. In in non-superflex, he's top three or four for me. In superflex, he's top seven or eight. So I think you do get a good value here at 10 or 9. So what we're saying is I'm killing this draft so far. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you, Bobby. I think you are. I think well, you are. All right, so is it on to me now? It is on to you. It is, yeah. Okay, well, my guy was just kind of sniped in front of me, so I'm sad. Um, I'm not going to make a bad decision here, but I am going to make a pretty good upside guy or an upside pick on a guy that I believe landed in a pretty good spot. I'm going to go Jaws here, uh, JGR Sega Whiteside. Um, I took a running back with my first pick, so I'm going to kind of try and even that out and, and add a little bit more depth to uh, my wide receiver position. And kind of like Bobby said, if, if I'm picking this late, I mean, I'm assuming that I that I, um, that I I had a pretty good season. I'm going to look to add a good depth piece and, and a guy that I think landed in a plus situation. And with that being said, um, I know that Alshon's still there, but he's getting a little long in the tooth at age 29. Um, and, and he, he will deal with, I know, I know not 29 isn't actually, uh, it, it's, this just gets more and more funny to me because like I'm 30. And as I talk about these guys, I'm like, Oh, these guys are getting really old for their position. Well, in, in real life, it's not, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm going on 31 and I'm talking about these guys that are younger than me. Oh, they're getting up there in age. Exactly. And, um, and yeah, so I, I have massive faith in, in in Carson Wentz. I mean, he's hucking it up, and he's he's throwing. I mean, over um, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but he's throwing the ball a consistent amount of time from year to year. And I personally, I think that uh, the rumors of them shopping Nelson Aguilar around, um, I think those are signs that, um, of course, uh, Jaws is going to have to deal with guys like you know Zach Ertz, and and I don't anticipate um, Alshon Jeffrey to just go away, but. Uh, I do think that throughout his college career, he's an early producer. I believe that uh, Jaws had a breakout age of 19, and he just he had a really, really, really big high upside um, touchdown ratio. And I think he he made a name for himself in that red zone in that paint area. And um, I expect the 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 Eagles to be able to move the ball up and down the field with um, some added uh, offensive talent there. And I expect him to be very efficient in that area and to be able to move the ball inside the 20s as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that upside there, and I think that uh, even if he doesn't come on for me this year, I think that give it another season. We know the wide receivers tend to, to take some time to develop, but I think that um, given uh, the circumstances and everything, I think he's going to be a pretty big staple in that offense for years to come. So uh, I'm glad to lock him up here. Yeah, I like that pick, Jesse. And just real quick, uh, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, and the Eagles can cut Alshon and only lose like $7 million in dead cap. And they have him signed to, I think it's like a 16 or $17 million contract next year. And they do need some cap room. So it is entirely possible that Alshon is a cap casualty next year. Yeah, no, definitely agree there. Um, yeah, and he just, like I said, if he doesn't come on this year, I'm, I'm happy to invest in him now and, and play into that development uh, that I think that he's going to have. Um, they took him early, and I think that they're going to, they made the right decision there and adding a really, uh, 
um, a really good pass catcher to bolster their offense. So uh, I think he'll be a, a pretty good option there. And that late in this in in the first round too, I'm I'm definitely willing to grab on that that college production and um, a very very offensive heavy team right there. So I like that. Yeah, that works. Um, I, I I like the pick too. I like the player. Um, I I I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see some of these mocks that come out because I don't know in a super flex if you had to grab them there. Um, but I like Arcadia Whiteside an awful lot, especially with Nelson Aguilar, you know, being gone. And, you know, like like Bobby pointed out, you know, they can move on from Elshon too and they can free up a bunch of cap space. So, um, yeah, I, I like the pick. Um, so I'm, I'm on the clock here. And, guys, I am not going to do what you're all setting me up to do. I'm not going to be the one. Yeah, This is going to be an exercise to see when, when, when the hate stops, when the hate stops from, from all five of you, shame on you. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, from Bobby, I expect that stopping, but not from you. Okay. So I, I, I'm going to look at the receiver position because I think that's where the value is at this point. Um, and there's two guys that I'm, I'm kind of, kind of going towards and the guy I'm going to go with James, you just admitted that the values in the wide receiver position. You're just saying that the stuff <laughs> about the quarterback, because even though you love Daniel Jones, realistically, you, you just want to take him here and you wanted to take a wide <laughs> If I am on the clock and I have the 1.12, I normally not outside of this mug, DJ would be my pick, but in this mug, I think I can wait. All right. So I, I will do that right. knowing who you're drafting with. Is, is part of your strategy. So knowing who I'm drafting with, I think I can wait and I can look at a receiver. And the guy I'm going to take is a guy who I did not think before this I was going to be taking this high. Um, I like him a lot, but I just thought there was other guys that I liked more. Um, but the landing spot to me is is huge. And I'm going to take Debo Samuel here. Um, love the landing spot in San Francisco. I think uh, playing time right away, uh, I think he he's a good fit in that offense. And he does a little bit of everything well. He's just such a solid route runner. He's got great hands. Um, he's the kind of guy that can excel in that offense. And that offense doesn't have a lot of weapons outside of Kittle. Um, you know, we got a questionable running game. I, we don't even know what the running back's going to be. Um, and, you know, with Jimmy G coming back, I expect them to be able to throw the ball a little bit better than they, they even did last year. So um, I'm going to take Debo Samuel here. I think the floor is really high and the ceiling is high enough to where I feel good about this um, with the last pick in the first round. Uh, no complaints from me there. Debo is in my first round picks too. I do just want to say that we've now gone through the first round and two guys that I have as first rounders in Superflex are still on board. So I'm curious to see where they end up. Damn it, John. I see oh, you typing. Interesting. Up. Uh, did I just snipe you, Stomp? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, it, it, at this point, I think that the, the draft capital has to come into consideration a little bit. Um, I, I, I know that for Stompy, this pick is also going to, it, it, you know, it's, it's because of the quarterback a little bit as well. So just to, just to, you know, so I've I've, I've teased it enough. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go with Hollywood Brown, uh, in Baltimore. And I mean, first round pick first wide receiver taken in a very deep class, um, you know, I know that there are questions about the health, but at the end of the day, again, you know, there's there's draft capital here. There's reason to believe that he's the number one wide receiver on that on that offense. And it, 
you know, regardless of how much you think they're going to actually throw the ball, that it's still it's an NFL offense. They're going to throw the ball. They have to. So, yes, I, are you coming around? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, go on, John. Sorry. I, wanna... I, I mean, I I think that Marquise Brown is also going to be the guy who kind of works. You know the the short and mid range routes that uh, that Lamar Jackson is really going to try and focus in on. So, um, yeah, it, it just it just it, it's not that I'm coming around to the idea that Lamar Jackson's going to be a good passer, especially here in year two. But it's it's an acknowledgement that he's an NFL quarterback who's going to throw the ball, you know, several hundred times. He's lying, Stompy. He read your article and listened to Zuperflex episode one and changed his mind a little bit. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. So which, was, which was a fantastic article, by the way. I did. I did tweet tweet yesterday that I think that people are, might overreact and and say that he's a little bit uh, dead in the water in in uh, Baltimore. But I don't really believe that. I believe even if even if Lamar Jackson throws. 250 times in this year. That's they, wild. Give or, give or take 250 times. Oh I think God. I think there's a strong chance that 80 to 90 of those times are going to go Jesus. to Hollywood. Listen, so listen. What the, the, the reason why uh, you know I tweeted this out yesterday too that um, Lamar Jackson that that the the Baltimore Ravens were ranked eighth in percentage for um, play action. They 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 ran play action 28% of the time, eighth in the league. Uh, Lamar Jackson had 72% completion uh, percentage on play action. Now you look at the skill set of Hollywood Brown. What does he do best? He separates down the field in space. If Lamar Jackson rolls out of the pocket and he looks to extend the play, the one guy that I am almost willing to bet is going to be open down the field is going to be Hollywood Brown. Now, not only not only do I believe that he's going to be open down the field, but what did he do in college with the ball in his hands? He was a yards after the catch monster. That's what he was. He was able to get the ball, and he wasn't going for four or five yards after the catch. He was going for 40, 30, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 yards for touchdowns. He's explosive. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. And I think that he has everything that you could possibly want for a guy like Lamar Jackson who will look to stretch the pocket or break out of the pocket, extend the play, and who was, who was accurate, um, uh, statistically accurate on the run and throwing off of the play action. So I think that he fits into that that mold um, that they're looking for from him, and I think that he's he's going to fit right into that offense. Now I'm not saying that he's going to you know um, come in and, and post absolute you know top twelve fantasy numbers or anything like that, but I think people are overreacting to the landing spot, saying Lamar Jackson doesn't throw it enough. They're going to run the ball. They run two tight end sets all the time, and I and I get that, but he's proved uh, he proved last year he, he hit that over that twenty. Uh, the 20% threshold, 26.2% of combined receiving yards and touchdown market share for um, uh, for Oklahoma. And he barely missed that threshold uh, the year before that at age 20. He had 18.3. That's not too significant of a drop-off percentage-wise that we can't say that he wasn't capable or anything. Um, I'm not going to, you know, split tea leaves or, you know, whatever you guys – whatever that saying is. I'm not going to um, – I'm not going to look too much into that, but he he can handle that workload and he can be the number one. I think he is there, and I think he's going to play into that um, for Baltimore definitely. Just just real quick, because I'm I'm in the Baltimore area and I feel just so invested in this pick, mostly because I'm not a Hollywood fan at all. I, I really didn't like his tape. I think I think he plays a role on the Baltimore offense, and I think it's going to be fine for NFL purposes. He's going to stretch the field for them, which is something they need. They need a threat downfield. Everything you were saying, Jesse. I'm just 
And it's not that Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball downfield because I love Lamar Jackson and I believe in his ability as a passer just as much as his ability to run the ball. I just, I can't see that. I cannot see with the way that the Ravens are moving towards uh, developing their offense under the, under the Roman system here, the, the emphasis that they're putting is on the short field and Hollywood might get five or six targets a game, but what is he going to do with those? And, for me, a guy who's a, a buck sixty-six playing against, uh, uh, playing in a really tough defensive division, it's going to be a struggle for him to break out early on in his career. And I know people disagree with this, but I actually don't love his route running. I don't love his ability to consistently create separation. And I think his adjustment going from Big Twelve uh, defenders and secondary who w- will never sniff the NFL to playing in the AFC North is going to be a really tough adjustment for him. Um, so. I'm just going to give the other side of that. I will say at 201, the upside is there. So I don't think it's a bad pick by John. I just wouldn't do it myself. So quick note, quick note too, about his weight. 166 is not going to be his playing weight. I fully expect him to tack on around nine to 10 more pounds and play at that 175 range. Um, I know he was nursing an injury when he weighed in at the combine and stuff, and he even said that's not not his natural playing weight. So I expect him to bulk up just a little bit to be able to handle maybe a, a little bit more from his physical stature. So I, I'm not reading too much into his weight there, but I get what you're saying with uh, Matt with with it being um, uh, a new division, a, a, a completely new set of a completely new offense that he's going to be working in, in a completely new division. And um, we all know that the the, the NFC North is not um, it's not an easy division, especially come you know November, December, January. You know, uh, but I agree with you there. But I also agree with your 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 two hundred one take. It's definitely an upside pick there. So right. So I, I guess my question to you, Matt, is it, I I see them using him as more of a uh, as a Tyreek Hill type of player, um, using him in underneath routes, letting him use his speed. Is that not what you think he can do? I I think he's more of a John Brown, and in the okay. sense that I, I that they're going to use him to stretch the field. I just don't think it's going to necessarily be what fantasy players expect it to be. Now, that being said, it's a whole lot of draft capital, and I do believe in draft capital. So maybe they will find ways to be more creative with that offense, and and I definitely could be wrong about it. I just – it was frustrating for me to see them go down the Hollywood route when there were guys who I thought would have, you know, really eaten in that offense and gotten high target and high volume. To Matt's point – yeah, to Matt's point right quick, I'm sorry, but to Matt's point, it's hard to stretch the field horizontally when there's so many people at the line. And I think that could be the problem Baltimore faces is that they need someone to stretch that thing vertically um, to to kind of get people off the line of scrimmage, you know? So I think for need, I think that's what they need out of him. I think they need him to be that big play threat. Um, they could use him, you know, in the short passing game still, absolutely. But they need to keep defenses honest, in my opinion. Safeties are cheating up. You need to have that deep threat. Um, and when you're playing those two tight end sets, that run heavy set, which is fine. You can do that. And Lamar Jackson can still eat doing that. Um, but I think the way he does it is with play action and stretching the field vertically. So um, I, I, I agree with Matt to an extent on that, because I do think um, that his role could be, you know, that that could be a big part of his role at the very least. Yeah. I mean, they have 15 tight ends to work this short field. So there you go. <laughs> All right, I think we are on 1.02 with Matt here. Two, okay. Or 2.02, sorry. 
Uh, all right, I'm going to go with a guy here who I don't love his landing spot, and I think that's why we've gotten to this point with him and why he hasn't come off the board yet. That's about <laughs> to take the guy I was hoping would fall to my pick. Oh, I, don't know. <laughs> I think I know who this is. So I get it. Mm-hmm. I get why we're upset with A.J. Brown to Tennessee, uh-huh. but I don't think it's as bad as we're making it out to be because I think a lot of people are overreacting to Adam Humphreys playing in the slot and Corey Davis being there. And let's be honest, people, I've done it too. With buying up Corey Davis shares hasn't gotten us anywhere. So Tennessee's got to figure something out. And what's more important to me here is that A.J. Brown played on the outside for Old Miss just as much, if not more, than he played in the slot for them. And he was productive and he was effective. His best game film for me was Vanderbilt, where he was playing outside. I think he has the ability to play in an X-type role. And with Marcus Mariota, who doesn't have the best arm strength in the league, I think a guy like A.J. Brown getting high volume makes more sense than a guy like Corey Davis getting high volume. So I like Adam Humphreys, too. I don't think Adam Humphreys is going to significantly take away from um, from A.J. Brown. And we need to keep in mind when we're looking at the Tennessee offense, it was a different offensive coordinator last year, and it was a different offense because, for the most part, it was not run by a healthy Marcus Mariota. So I think for, for a lot of this, we need to we need to put to the side the, the bad taste in our mouth from Tennessee last year, and, uh, and we need to be okay with A.J. Brown, a really good talent in an offense that can move the ball. So you're talking to a podcast who two of us do not like Marcus Mariota because we think he's a terrible quarterback. Um, <laughs> so, but, but we're also talking about a not, not a high volume uh, offense, high passing volume offense. Uh, we've heard coach speak. Yes, it's coach speak. I get it. But talking about building around Derrick Henry. So I still think you're not going to get a high passing volume offense. Uh, I don't, I think Corey Davis might've had one of the higher market shares last season and he still only put up 900 and what five, Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So that's concerning in itself. Now you're adding another talented wide receiver. It would behoove them to start throwing the ball more, but I don't think they, I don't know if they will. And I just don't trust Mariota because to me, he just hasn't gotten better. I think we've seen his ceiling in 2017. I see John reacting in there. Uh, in 2016, sorry. Uh, I just, I don't love it because now they have. And I get I get your argument that AJ Brown will out out compete uh, Adam Humphreys. I mean that's very valid, but I just don't know where the targets are coming from, and that's my concern with the with that. Like I would have preferred AJ Brown in Seattle. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, I I just I don't like the entire offensive situation for fantasy in Tennessee. Yeah, I think A.J. Brown makes Marcus Mariota better instead of Mariota making A.J. Brown better. I mean, A.J. Brown made Jordan Yamu look pretty good, right? <laughs> um, and he didn't go drafted for a reason. So, I mean, that's not that's not a one-to-one, but that's just to say A.J. Brown has the ability to have that manufactured production, and they can change the offense to run through him. And to Stompy's point, the reason that AJ Brown is going at the 202 in this mock is because of the bad situation. Yeah. He went to a halfway decent situation. He's an easy early to mid first round pick. So AJ Brown at the early second, I actually think that's a great pick and maybe even will end up being a steal of drafts. If you get him there, man, they're going to surprise some people. Uh, They're going to surprise two people in here, but uh, (laughs) I don't think they actually will. 
yeah, they're they're gonna make you they're gonna make you two look so foolish now that Marcus Mariota can actually feel his freaking hand. I, again, we're, something, we're not having an argument again. We're not doing this again, John. <laughs> we're, not an, we've had this argument so many times. I think I, I really, I really think. Coming, but. I, I think AJ Brown is going to thrive when Tannenhill takes over because he can hit the short routes. Oh. I, I think that's. Oh man! Oh my God! Yeah, we've got an entire <laughs> off season ahead of us. We're spiraling. <laughs> yeah. Let, all right. Let's let's move on because we could definitely just turn this into a why Marcus Mariota is going to bounce back. Four stumpy picks. Let's see if he takes the last guy who's still available for my personal first round ranks here, or if I get them at the two hundred four. You might get them at the two hundred four. Um, I'm going to go with he- Hakeem Butler. Nice. Um, nice. Was that it, Bobby? Nope. Okay. Which means um, I'm not taking Daniel Jones. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know I, there's probably going to be some uh, drop here for Akeem Butler. I mean, obviously in, in this mock, there was a drop because of him dropping to the top of the fourth, but he joins a team that should be better overall on, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and he's, he's unlike any wide receiver there. He's a physical freak. Um, he can do basically everything on the field. And and I've talked about it before. He, while, while I don't think he is Calvin Johnson, there, there are some comparisons, light comparisons to Calvin Johnson. He's been working out with Calvin Johnson in the um, off season. And I just, I think that he's going to excel in that offense. Like I said, you have, you have a lot of smaller slot guys in Arizona, you don't have anybody like Hakeem Butler on the outside. And I think that's going to serve him well, maybe not this season, but next season and and, uh, the successive seasons after that. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm totally good with the pick. I think uh, he, he definitely fell more than any of us thought, but he was the first, first player taken in the fourth round. I mean, you know, late third, early fourth is, is almost semantics at that point. But, um, yeah, so I, I, he definitely fell more than I think we all kind of figured he would, um, and that's a cause for a little bit of concern. But I think his landing spot was very nice because, um, like you said, Stompy, I mean, you know, we don't expect Fitz to be around much longer, um, and you know, a starting role could be opening up. And with all the receivers that Arizona drafted, I don't know how they feel about Kirk either. I mean, I'm, I'm a little worried that Christian Kirk might be replaceable in their eyes too. I mean, this is a new coaching staff. Maybe that's not their guy either. We saw what they did with Rosen, who wasn't their guy. So, um, you know, allegiance isn't something that this coaching staff, I think, is going to show any of these guys. So, um, I, I, I'm not overly concerned with Butler going in the fourth round. Um, I like the pick here. Yeah, I don't mind it. I have a guy rated higher, obviously, by my comment from earlier. Well, well let's hear it, Bobby. Let's hear who uh, it is. So I'm going to go with the last person from my first round pick, or my first round in Superflex, and that's Paris Campbell. And okay. Paris Campbell started to take off with Dwayne Haskins, and now he gets to play with Andrew Luck. He also gets to play opposite an aging but still very good T.Y. Hilton, who I think he can learn a bit from, and he profiles somewhat similarly to. So I really believe that Paris Campbell is going to be a solid player for the Colts, and it's a soft landing spot. Outside of T.Y. Hilton, they have, what, Devin Funches, who everyone jokes is a tight end, and they have Eric Ebron, who is a good tight end despite what some people on this podcast do or do not believe. (laughs) Um, 
but he is in a position, I think, within a year or two to be the number one on that team with a truly talented quarterback throwing him the ball. So at this point in the draft, I'm more than happy to take him. I, I like it a lot. I, I like offenses that have two very um, dynamic guys uh, that can move around in that offense. I, I think you, you highlighted it perfectly. You have T.Y. Hilton. You have Paris Campbell. Both can play from the slot. Both can use their speed on the outside. Uh, and then you have a tree trunk in, uh, <laughs> in <laughs> scrumptious funches. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and I think it's a good – not only can you use them um, interchangeably and and use them creatively in that offense, but if Ty goes down, which he has propensity to do, I mean he's he's gotten injured in his past. You can use Paris Campbell in that offense or in that in that same um, position and really not miss a beat. So I really I think Paris Campbell's getting a little bit underrated and but I think his landing spot was fantastic for him for them to take advantage of of his skill set. And also to James defense here just so we're clear, if Paris Campbell was off the board I would have been forced to pick Daniel Jones here. Oh my god, <laughs> I would have loved that. Why did somebody not take Paris Campbell? Goodness. But uh, I, I'm interested to hear, Matt, what do you think about Paris Campbell? Because as a prospect, I was, I was not high on him. So Matt and Jesse, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about him because I, I, I don't like Paris Campbell at all. I think he's very raw. I think he's limited in his route tree. Um, I don't think he, he gives them the dimension they think he does. I think he's more of a, more of, has more straight line speed than anything. Um, I don't know that he's a playmaker on the outside. When I watched that tape, um, the other uh, wide receiver, McLaurin, is the guy who stood out to me. Um, so I, I, to me, I, I, I don't see Paris Campbell as, as being a good prospect. I love the landing spot, and the opportunity is there. So I understand the pick, but I just don't like the player at all. And I'm wondering what you guys saw on film, if you guys can, can sell me on him or if you guys aren't sold on him either. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to try and sell you on him because I personally um, – what stands out to me the most is his his late breakout age, 21. Uh, last season, actually, he was able to uh, surpass the threshold of 21.7%, uh, which is considered a breakout. Uh, but I, I attribute that a lot to Dwayne Haskins and that entire offense. Dwayne Haskins had a, a prolific year, threw for 50 touchdowns, uh, over 5,000 yards, and uh, – somebody's going to eat the the wide receivers are going to eat. So it's not a surprise that, that a couple of them were able to um, technically air quotes break out. Uh, but for me, when I think about Paris Campbell, I think versatility. So I think that the, um, he provides in real football, I think he provides a level of versatility and um, dynamic play to the, the Colts offense. So I, I would expect them to, to really get him in a lot of motion, uh, wide receiver screens, um, kind of get him in the flat where he can where he can use his speed, get him in motion so he's already running and has that built-up speed, and hope, hope that you can get him in breakaway um, and kind of fool the defense. It's going to be um, a, a player that's predicated on whether or not the Colts are going to scheme him into that offense. Um, I'm not absolutely sold that they're going to make him a – especially a fantasy part – or a fantasy-relevant uh, wide receiver. I think he fits into more of a real football role there. Um 
but yeah, I think he's he's going to be very scheme dependent on on what they're able to do with him. But on on the contrary, though, I do think that um, I, I do believe he does provide some versatility there. And you could see some fantasy production, but I don't expect it to be anything more than maybe a wide receiver four or five role as a depth piece on on your roster, maybe. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I stand on him. Okay, yeah. so Matt, what do you think? Do you think they have to manufacture touches for him as well? Yeah, for me, so Paris Campbell, I would say Paris Campbell tape, it's, it's kind of like, you know, a nice wine. It, it ages better because the first time I, I flipped on the tape, I'm just like, oh, this is Ohio State. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, they're gonna find a way to get this guy open. But the more I watched and the more I really focused in on the way Paris Campbell was getting open, I did see a consistent ability to to find separation and to find space. I don't think he does it in the same way that you would look for a guy like Kelvin Harmon to create space, right? He's not really doing it with his hands. He's doing it with his feet and with his agility. But I will say that it's, I'm like, okay with this. You know, I just feel all right about it. I I see Andrew Luck as a guy who can get Paris Campbell the ball. Indianapolis has enough playmakers to spread out the field, whether you consider Devin Funch as a playmaker or just kind of a guy, a bowling ball rolling down the field. But either way, I, I think there's enough to open up opportunities for Paris Campbell I'm fine with it right here in terms of value. I think this is probably where he's going to go. Personally, I wouldn't make the pick because I, if a guy doesn't get me excited and I don't see his upside, this is just a personal preference the way I draft. You know, that's what I look for. And Paris Campbell is just solid to me. And there's a there's still a few guys left on the board that get me really excited. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, Matt. This, this yeah, I completely agree there. Same thought process. Okay, so so moving on, Jesse, you you are on the clock. Uh, what are okay. you going to take here? Uh, I am just uh, I'm going to take a guy that I believe in, um, based on the the data and and the tape as well. Uh, I think he's a dynamic player. I think he's a senior bowl standout, and I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to pull the trigger here on Andy Isabella. Um, I don't necessarily love the situation that he went to just because they added a lot more offensive talent behind him, but he was the first one that they added and they traded up to go get him. I, um, with that being said, I think his college data, he broke out at a very young age. He had massive and a massive ascending uh, market share of that offense there at UMass. Uh, he ended with a 47.8% uh, dominator, uh, receiving college dominator rating, which is almost nearly 50% of that entire team's offensive production. Uh, that just screams to me. And then he did it at age 19 at 25%, followed it up at age 20 with 335 um, before capping it off with that 47. So he ascended there and he got better and better um, as his college career went on. And when I see numbers like that, 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 as Matt would say, gets me excited about a guy. Um, that makes me, they really stand out from a young age there. And I think he's going to fill that slot role. I think he can, he can really uh, rotate between the slot and uh, a flanker role. He can stretch the field. Um, he's a guy that can create separation, very good footwork, very crisp coming in and out and stemming out of his routes. Um, I just think. I think he's he's a very well-rounded physical player, and I think that his numbers just really, really back that up. And if I was to put any money on a guy that I know, uh, and the numbers suggest that he is going to um, get a, a sizable market share of, of Arizona's offense, I would I would put money on Andy Isabella, and I think he's great value where we're at. What are we at the two hundred five right now? Uh, yeah, I think he's great value there for a guy that produced that way. I think he's uh, I think he's good value there. Jesse, one of the things that I like to bring up whenever people are talking about Andy Isabella and in the high uh, high dominator rating, you know, a lot of people, the first thing they say is, oh, well, he's playing at UMass. What do you expect? But um, UMass, if you look at their 2018 schedule, they actually 
faced some pretty significant opponents, you know, for being an independent team. Um, they played Boston College, where he threw up 96 receiving yards. Mm-hmm. They played uh, USF, University of South Florida, which is, is a solid ACC team, 191 yards. They played Georgia, where he threw up 219 receiving yards. And so that's just to bring up the fact that when people are writing off Andy Isabella because of his school, he showed up in their toughest games of the season. No, I and and thank you for kind of bringing that up too. I think there's also a misconception on on dominator rating and, and things like that that people don't understand is that it cancels out a lot of the noise of of other competition, especially inside of your own offense. Um, when you are looking at um, the market share that a player garners in their own offense, that tells you number one they that's the production level that they got despite the other talent around them. So we we look at that that data in terms of like how DK Metcalf in 2017 he wasn't able to break a, a uh, that breakout threshold, which suggests he wasn't the best player on his team in that in, in that year. We look at guys like Andy Isabella when he does it and ascends at doing it, he gets better and better. That tells us that not only does the competition on the other side of the ball is that he's beating them and getting that much production, but he's also beating the talent around him on an offense. That's why I love market share data, and that's why I love to use it kind of as a base for when I'm looking at prospects and stuff is because to go along exactly with your point, people tend to think, oh, you know, smaller school guys, Ashton Doolin, for example, that guy, he, he played at, and you can say um, with, with guys in, in extremely small schools that the talent level, there is a drop off. But um, when you look at what they were able to do and those numbers, it completely tells you that it doesn't matter who was on the other side of the ball. It doesn't matter who was on the other side of the ball on his own team. He put up those numbers regardless of circumstance, regardless of competition and where he played, who he played. And that's, that's part of the reason why that data is very valuable. So I, I'm actually really glad that you, you brought that up because it's, it's a, it's a good topic. Yeah, and I continually forget that Victor Cruz came from UMass too. I mean, yep. there is a, wide receiver who has been successful that came from UMass. I know it's not a well-seen school in NFL circles, but I have to defend it a little bit because some of my family went there and they actually met Victor Cruz while they were there. That's my one uh, NFL claim to fame. <laughs> the Minutemen, Zoomass. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, so that, that puts me on the clock. And again, I'm not doing it. Um, I'm not taking the bait because I would have already, he would already been on my roster and I'd had a smile. But DJ is not, I'm not doing it. The hate's going to end from one of you guys eventually. And it sounds like it might be Bobby, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it. So I'm going to take a guy who I was a little higher on um, pre-draft than most people. And um, after the draft, I love his landing spot. I think um, in a year or so, he could be uh, a starting running back um, in this league. And I'm going to go with uh, Devin Singletary. And that's, um, I, I like him going to Buffalo. Um, I think there's opportunity to be had there. Um, I, I, I think in that offense, he could, uh, he could get a good part of the market share. Um, you know, if not this year, then after this year, I mean, they got two aging guys in front of them for sure. Um, and, uh, other than that, you know, I don't see a whole lot of competition to carries there. So, um, I like Singletary. He shows a lot of suddenness, a lot of burst. So he's very quick of foot while the long speed might not be as, as much as you'd like to see from, uh, from back his size, he is really explosive in the hole and he, he does run strong too. He finishes Finish his runs off very well. Um, I liked what I saw from Singletary, and I like his landing spot. So I'm going to take him here, and uh, and I feel pretty decent about that. 
I saw a lot of consternation about his landing spot, but if you really look deep into it, Yeldon had one season of being the guy, didn't really pan out there. He's more of the change of pace pass mm-hmm. catcher. You have a 35-year-old Frank Gore, and yes, I do He think he's going to retire at some point. I can't – I mean, he's only on a one-year contract. I can't see him them bringing him back. McCoy is, what, 31? And he's starting to fall apart a little bit. He had his worst season of his career last season. Singletary lands in a spot where you see a path to touches. And, yes, his combine was disappointing. His long speed wasn't great. But like James said, he's got burst. He's 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 got game speed. And he was extremely productive in college. He broke 1,100 yards from scrimmage in every season in college. So there's nothing to tell me that he can't be successful. Um, That offensive line was a little rough last season, but I think they made a few picks for that line help. So I really, I mean, we've all, we always talk about volume is king in fantasy football and you can really see volume for Devin Singletary in the next couple of seasons. I don't mind the pick here. I was having this conversation with one of my, uh, Bills fans friends and we were talking about how I had him kind of as a mid second he said I was surprised because he could be the starter and I said that's the only reason he is a mid second for me and the reason I say that is those guys that you just mentioned while they're old they are there for this year and I know we've talked about it repeatedly but there is also that 2020 class where the Bills could easily bring in someone with higher capital attached to them and he loses his job I actually see a scenario where Singletary is never fantasy relevant. I also see a scenario where he is the lead back, but because I see that, he is only kind of like a mid to lower second for me and not a high second or even mid-high second. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think for me, the reason why, when I'm looking at the names that are available here, um, I think I have similar questions with almost everyone that's still available. So I think... Yeah, that's uh, a yeah, and I think I think that's why is because I see the same thing you do, Bobby. I see high upside and and a really low floor um, because, he, like you said, he might not ever get a chance to get you know uh, a significant amount of carries to be fantasy relevant. But he also may end up being a starting running back in the league for years to come. So um, I think based on that, I, I, I'm willing to take the shot here uh, with him. So, but yeah, no, I, I think those are a lot of good points you just made. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like there's a pretty big drop off from here. <laughs> there's, I'm, I'm looking at, at. I don't see any running backs that I feel good about their situations. Uh, the, the, I, I think the tight ends and the quarterbacks. It's going to be a little bit more of a, of a long game. To me, it's, it's the wide receiver position is where there's still a little bit of immediate return, and uh, so I'm going to go with Nicole Hardman. <sighs> Damn uh, you. I, I love it, that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're taking stabs. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll let you give your analysis, John. Just know I'm mad at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, this is kind of the last real, the last pick with any kind of, of immediate return, I think. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, we, we know what's going on with Tyreek Hill. I, I'm not expecting him to be in a Chiefs uniform. No, they, they tried to get a Hill clone. I don't think that Hardman is necessarily that, but I mean, that's, that's kind of, uh, it, it, it was very transparent that that's what they were, 
going forward here with Hardman. He was their first pick in this draft in the second round. So uh, I, I think that they're looking for – they're trying to put him in that situation. They want him to fill the same role that Tyreek Hill filled, and uh, they're probably going to want him to do it right away. I mean, hey, everyone I, is very mad at you right now, John, and they're probably not talking to you. So. Well, no, I, I mean, John nailed it. I think it's one of those things where it's like you can't expect a Tyreek Hill type production because he just turned whatever that position is on its head with what he was able to do. But he's a he's a punt and kick returner. He's he's very fast. Uh, he's he's a good. I mean, he's a decent route runner. He can get down the field. Um, he's good after yards after the catch. Like if you can get, let's just say 75% of what Tyreek Hill was. And I, and, and I mean, I know that's pushing it, but if you can get that, I think this is an extremely successful pick. Sounds like we should move on to the 208. Uh-huh. Matt, Matt, do the right thing here, man. Do the right thing. I know, I know you're going to do the right thing. I have faith that you're going to do the right thing here. We have not had a quarterback selected in this super flex mock since the 1.08, and we're at the 2.08. So, Matt, it's your pick, man. No pressure. Hey, you uh, know, take the third best quarterback that was taken, and you're going to go ahead and take Easton Stick. Do oh, it. You stole my line, man. I was setting up for an Easton stick. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. I, I hate you all right now. <laughs> man, me, and, me and Jesse are on the same page here with this draft. Uh, here's, I'm going to give you a legitimate reason why I'm passing on Daniel Jones. I will at least give you a legitimate explanation. Not a legitimate reason. No, I, I, hope, I, hope it's, I hope you're That's quoting right. Bobby's tweet. Quote Bobby's tweet. Well, first off, he's a flaming pile of garbage. But secondly, oh my gosh, here I go. Here's the legitimate argument. I, I, when I play Dynasty, I try to work within a three year window. Like, I, I don't like to look further out than a three year window. And I have a GM who on draft night is telling me that it is a legitimate possibility that his quarterback is going to not see the field for two to three years. So why am I investing in a, in somebody who has no trade value because 99% of the fantasy football community correctly thinks he's absolute trash? Do you so, think he's going to be there for two to three years? Do you think Gettleman's going to be there for two to three years? Well, well boy, I sure hope not. But if Gettleman, okay. goes, if Gettleman goes are cleaning out that, that team, and that's going to... That's going to include Daniel Jones. Regardless. As a Daniel Jones fan, you better hope that Gettleman is there for three years because if Jones fails... Guess who's going with him? Gettleman. And vice versa, if Gettleman fails, guess who's going with him? Daniel Jones. You, so so what you're telling me is that if Daniel Jones sits on the bench for two years, Gettleman gets a free pass because we don't know whether or not he's a bust or not. The Giants the Giants have cut Davis Webb. They're going to cut Kyle Lalletta. They're not afraid to cut quarterbacks without letting them ever see the field. They did not. They, they oh. had no very little draft capital. They were not the sixth overall pick in the draft. They weren't the sixth overall pick in the draft, but those were two third-round picks in back-to-back years. So, Matt, of the quarterbacks selected in the first round, and I'm not going with my tweet here. I'll save that for later because you're clearly going to make me select him. It's fine. <laughs> but of the quarterbacks in the first round to be selected – and I remember them talking about this on the draft. I might get the numbers wrong, but over the last few years, none of them have started less than seven games, not a single one in their first year. So Gettleman can talk all he wants about, oh, he's going to sit for three years. He's not. 
he's not. You don't take someone at six to sit them for three years. Gettleman is just, I don't know why. I think maybe he just likes riling up the media and telling them stuff to, that he knows is going to make them mad. Like, oh, analytics don't matter. We're going to sit this guy for three years. Oh, I might die tomorrow, so nothing I pick matters. That was a weird one, too. Oh, yeah, I might get hit by a bus, so you know none of my picks matter. I'm a GM who's paid to do this, but nothing matters. I'm starting to rant here. But anyway, slightly defend the pick. Daniel Jones is probably going to start at some point this season because either or he'll start next season, but I'm guessing it's going to be this season because the most likely scenario is that Eli, just like we all think, is pretty much done. And if that happens, they're not going to go, you know who we should start? Kyle Aletta. It's going to be Daniel Jones. So we'll know pretty quickly whether he is worthy of starting in the NFL or not. Bobby, that is a very logical, well-thought-out, rational answer, which is why it just does not seem like something David Gettleman and the Giants are going to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, make your pick here. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready to pull my hair out of my head, man. Go, just, just take a guy. All right. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> I was kind of giving, I was kind of stalling a little bit because there's, I have six guys highlighted in yellow as guys that I'd love to take a shot on, but nobody I love at this point. So I'm really trying to decipher which one of my guys that I want to take the biggest shot on, and I think I'm just going to use my time here to get excited about the guy I've been excited about all off season. Yeah, I, I have a feeling I know where you're going here. <laughs> I've been excited and I had been banging the drum for him all off season. And he actually went with pretty solid draft capital. That is Jalen Hurd, the wide receiver slash running back slash apparently tight end out of uh, Baylor, who is, uh, he was the early third round pick, right? For San Francisco. I think it's an early yeah. third round mm -hmm. pick. Jalen Hurd is a raw wide receiver, but he fits into an offense that is very creative minded. I do legitimately think they are going to line him up in the backfield and use him as a running back on the goal line. They're going to use him in different situations. I do think he's going to see the field right away. And he is going to have significant upside as a very unique, one of a kind type fantasy football player. This is not your kind of common gadgety type wide receiver player because I he legitimately has the ability to also be a, a running back but as a wide receiver in one year of being a wide receiver he looks very impressive to me he's very comfortable with the ball out of his hands he's very athletic and he's huge he's 6'4 217 and just dominating the field so I love Jalen Hurd he's got huge upside clearly San Francisco found something that they like in him too to take him that high I think you were on DTC Right, and we're banging the drum for him. That uh, nope, that wasn't me. But I'm glad I got a friend out there somewhere. I've um, been pretty much everywhere else banging the drum. I've, for heard, him. I've heard you. I've heard you talk about him. I really like Jalen Hurd. I, I think you got it right. I mean, my biggest takeaway from him is he kept Kamara and yep. uh, Kelly off the field when he was a running back, and then he transferred over to Baylor, sat out a season, and then in his first season as a wide receiver, put up 900 yards and four touchdowns. Like like Matt said, he's very raw, but he's an athlete. And give him the ball in his hands, and he's going to be a monster. He's going to be a lot like DJ Moore. I mean, in terms of – and Nikhil Harry, in terms of being able to run with the ball in his hands. So, yeah, I, I really like this pick. I mean, like John said, it, there's a clear teardrop off here, so you may as well just start taking shots here in the middle of the second. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I, think I gave the the most holistic uh, you know, <laughs> description of him. If you haven't heard of Jalen Hurd before, I guess just go to my Twitter. Every like four tweets is a Jalen Hurd tweet. So I want to I want to throw this out here before we get to the next pick. I don't know if anybody's planning on taking him, uh, just an upside kind of guy. But Emmanuel Hall signed with the Bears. I did see that. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just throwing it out there. I just, I know a lot of people really had him really, really high. He's an explosive wide receiver. Take the top off of defense. Was Drew Locke's guy. Um, just was throwing that out there. No, he was up and, there for me, so I'm glad you brought him up. And yeah. you Broncos fans, just so you know, uh, Ripian was not drafted, and the Broncos signed him. I love yeah. it. Love yeah. Ripian. Oh, uh, one that I just saw here, and I love it too. I know we're we're rambling a little bit, but Stanley Morgan Jr. signed with the Bengals, and I actually—that's oh, yeah, a nice fit. I actually I like that fit a lot, and I like Stanley Morgan a lot. Preston Williams went to Miami too. Get yeah. out of here. Get we hear anything about Greg Dorch yet? Greg Dorch went to the Jets. Really? Oh, man. I Gosh, that so? He's gonna sit. He plays the same role that that uh, Crowder. That Crowder does. Yeah, that's huh? what. Yeah. I guess it's a little uh, crowded in that uh, in that depth oh chart. Oh. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> We're at what two points? All right, Stompy, dude, Stompy, Stompy. Before you pick, please, dear God, save me. Because here, here's the deal: if you don't do it, Bobby's gonna do it. And and Bobby's muted right now. I don't even think he's got his headphones on, so I can mm-hmm. say this. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna take DJ, and then he's going to. Do his tongue-in-cheek analysis of of DJ <laughs> and how he's going to take his roster and he's time. and he's going to throw it in the trash and he's going to set it on fire and he's going to piss on it and <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to hear and I I don't even want to hear it I don't even want to hear someone take Daniel Jones just to crap on him so please yeah, please do this nope oh goodness he's taking Miles Boykin wow okay okay, okay. Uh, I I mean. Matt knows a little bit here. I mean, in in that Baltimore offense, I think Miles Boykin's going to be the more productive wide receiver. Uh, I think Crabtree was, I mean, <laughs> and it's tough to say from last year, but he was a more productive wide receiver in that receiving core. Uh, but the reason I like Boykin is I think he's an underrated route runner. I think he can run outside. He can run inside. He's extremely quick. Uh, in fact, and, and, I've I've mentioned this before. I'm a Matt Waldman disciple. Matt Waldman has his number has him as his number two wide receiver in this class, um, based on upside. Now, not again, not the perfect landing spot because while I do think that Lamar Jackson is a, a fantastic quarterback, a good pocket passer, there the volume isn't necessarily there. But they now have young, legitimate legitimate wide receivers to my in my mind so you got hollywood who's going to be able to stretch the field now you have miles boykin who can be a uh, wide receiver for them can move inside and outside can be uh get that hundred plus targets uh, and do something with it so i really like miles boykin <laughs> in baltimore especially because of my lamar jackson love Yes. Yeah. Uh, I will just jump in real quick and say, I agree. I think Miles Boykin is going to get more volume in that offense. It's kind of like what we talked about before. Like Hollywood makes more sense for the NFL team, but in terms of fantasy football, it Miles Boykin is going to get more of that volume. And I think his athleticism, his size matches up with 
the ability to kind of dominate within the first and second levels of the field, which is, I think, where the targets are going to flow to more often. So I was pretty excited by the Miles Boykin pick. Well, James, I guess I'm going to have to do it, huh? <laughs> Someone right. says you have to do it, all right? Brett Ripian coming off the board. <laughs> uh, this is where we see Easton stick. Yeah, no, this is not where we see Easton stick. He's uh, better than Daniel Jones. I am going to oh, go man. with Daniel Jones here. Oh, uh, good pick, Bobby. I am going. I'm actually about to rip on pretty much all of us because <laughs> Daniel Jones, realistically, in a super flex league, should be going probably at the latest mid second. Mm-hmm. And should at least be probably like the 201 or 112. So I do think that we all screwed that up, despite yeah. the fact that, as I mentioned in my tweet, there have been 55 first round quarterbacks <laughs> since uh, 2000. And Daniel Jones has one of the lowest yards per average attempts in college of any of them. And the other. Three, I'm trying to recall off the top of my head because I was going to look up the tweet beforehand, but it was Jake Locker and the other two. Man, I'm drawing a blank here. Was it Trubisky? It was not Trubisky, but they were, needless to say, they were actually not successful uh, NFL quarterbacks whatsoever, and Trubisky is at least somewhat successful. So Mm -hmm. Daniel Jones may have that going or not going for him, but as a second-round pick, and as I mentioned earlier, a guy that for whatever reason our GM decided to take as a number six pick overall, that means he's going to see the field sooner rather than later because Gettleman, you can say anything you want about Gettleman and I will believe you. However, he is still a human being and he understands what he needs to do to save his job. Even if it doesn't make sense for the giants, his job is now directly tied to Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones starting and being a good quarterback. And what that means for him is that Daniel Jones is going to start sooner rather than later because if Daniel Jones sits for two years, that means that he wasted a a number six overall pick, and that is bad for his job security. So he's going to start, and as we know in Superflex, starting quarterbacks are worth something. And the Giants do have weapons, and they have weapons that, as much as I've ripped on him, it's time for me to be nice to Daniel Jones, at least for this <laughs> They have weapons that excel where Daniel Jones is, has his strengths, which is he can throw the ball to the slot guy or the guy over the middle. And all the Giants have right now are guys that operate over the middle. So yeah, Daniel Jones can't throw a deep ball. That's fine. The Giants don't have anyone who can catch a deep ball outside of <laughs> Ingram. So Daniel Jones this late is ridiculous, and I have won the draft by taking him here. Mike draft. I totally agree. That was very well done. My goodness. You should all be ashamed <laughs> of yourselves. Bobby did just win the draft with that. Taking Daniel Jones. There is no way he's lasting in super flex drafts to the 2.10. There's no way. 210, he's not, he's not there. He, he was gone at the end of the first probably. All right. Well, righteous bullshit aside, I I think that <laughs> I, I I do think that Bobby makes a good point here, and we mm-hmm. probably should have learned our lesson last year with Josh Allen. I mean, as much as we wanted to stay away from him, ultimately he ended up in a starting role, which is mm-hmm. awfully valuable. I need to and go back now and counter yeah. myself and say Josh Allen at least had value from his legs. Mm-hmm. So 
it's okay that un- <laughs> the hate on Daniel Jones is a bit understandable. You know, I'll just start a podcast where I argue both sides of Daniel Jones. It'll be fine. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are. No more Daniel Jones analysis here? Nope. <laughs> okay. So this, uh, this at the 211, this is a guy that um, I think – People might think it's a little bit of a reach here, but I, I really like the landing spot that he went to. I think he's a lock to see um, maybe not the most production his rookie season, but I think uh, going forward, I don't – I'm just going to go ahead and say the pick. So I'm going to take uh, Irv Smith Jr. here. I'm going to get in on that tight end pool, and I really, really, really like uh, where he landed with the Vikings. So um, coming just, just off of his tape, he's an incredible route runner. He's a really, really good run blocker. He doesn't necessarily have like um, amazing separation speed or, um, or crazy contested catch um, uh, abilities or anything, but he does have really, really good yards after the catch. And he's, he's pretty explosive for being as big as he is. He's pretty explosive with the ball in his hands. Um, he is a guy that's going to get that extra four or five or three, four or five yards after the catch. And um, I really think that he's going to walk in line. And we all know Kirk Cousins in the tight end position. Um, as soon as he took over for Washington, Jordan Reed, skyrocketed um i believe i have i do not have it pulled up but i believe the average of uh, of jordan reed's finish after that after kirk cousins taking over was somewhere in uh, i know it was top 10 absolutely um but i think he lands in a really good position where kirk cousins loves to, to utilize the tight end position he is a pass catching tight end and at the 211 i i'm more than happy to go ahead and just and um, take him here. And I think that if he doesn't produce right away, I think that I can still sit on him for a year, two, um, three in Dynasty, and I think he will yield good results in return on that that investment there. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, another thing to note is that Kirk Cousins also, Vernon Davis performed really well with Kirk Cousins there mm-hmm. too. Yep. So um, he, he could support two tight ends. and Ab- Absolutely. Yeah, and, and another thing is Rudolph's in a contract here. Um, yes, so that's what I didn't know yet either. I, di- I didn't look into Rudolph's mm-hmm. uh, contract situation or anything like that, but I assumed uh, them taking uh, Irv as early as they did that that kind of that, that spilled or put the writing on the wall, you know, that, that they're looking to move on from Kyle Rudolph and, and Irv's going to take over that lead role there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, that to me even gives him more value and I really mm-hmm. like him. As a matter of fact, you sniped me because that was going to be my pick. So yeah. um, I, I, I like the pick. What do you guys I'm, think? I'm happy. Counterpoint. You fell with me. Counterpoint. Isn't Kyle Rudolph, wasn't Kyle Rudolph a decent uh, tight end? This past season, yeah, I believe he finished sixth, and he had about eighty targets. Uh, I think he averaged about five per game, and well, okay, so he finishes TE nine in total. But his was it nine? Point, okay, his fantasy points per game was seventeenth. Okay, um, and really, if you look at his week to week, it's pretty awful, except for like I think week fourteen, where he had like a thirty point game or something like that. Okay. So I get the. Kirk Cousins likes tight ends, but is it just that he likes Jordan Reed or is it that he likes all tight ends? I hope he likes all tight ends because I just took one of his tight ends. No, I think he does. I think he does like tight ends. And I think that that target, that market share for, uh, for targets right there from Kyle Rudolph, I think that that puts that, 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 um, that bodes favorably for a guy like Irv Smith coming in. And and I think that he's probably a little bit more well-rounded than Kyle Rudolph, too, in run blocking. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot of pass protection, um, which I, I believe Kyle Rudolph is, is decent at. Um, but he is good in the run game, and I do I, I honestly believe that they are going to look to get Dalvin Cook a lot more 
um, involved in in the run game and a lot more get him up to uh, up to par with with where he should be as a bell cow back for the most part or so I hope um, but I think uh, Irv is gonna I think he's gonna walk in I think he's he's versatile in that aspect and I think he's gonna play himself into a, a really good role there and um, uh, kind of like James said, even if he doesn't, uh, we know that tight ends tend to struggle their rookie season, and I'm okay taking that. At the 211, I'm perfectly fine taking that, a guy that I believe walks into a favorable position, uh, a favorable situation, I should say, um, and sitting on him for a year or two. I'm perfectly fine with that, and kind of like James said, uh, Rudolph is is in a, uh, a contract year, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities to sit on him for a year and then watch him walk into tight end one um, uh, market share there in Minnesota and receive that 80 target range um, as as he proved um, that he can uh, he can handle in college for the most part. Yeah, I will, I will say too just real quickly before we move on. If it wasn't for having Hawkinson and Fant in such a dynamic like set mm-hmm. of tight ends at the top of this class, we would be talking about Irv Smith a lot more because he's absolutely. super athletic and he can absolutely contribute to passing games. So as a fancy football option, he's fantastic. And with such and with the the tight end with that the drop off from the first four or five the the, the points drop off from from that that first five tight ends down is like a thirty or forty point spread yeah. there and that's just massive, dude. Um, I'm looking to get a guy who lands in a favorable position there and in an offense that I believe is going to produce has has a lot of dynamic uh, offensive weapons there uh, with a quarterback who can sling the rock and I honestly think that that. Um, snagging him uh Irv Smith there at, at 211 is is a, a really good pick yeah I like that like I said you sniped me here so I, I've got the last pick of this rookie rookie uh mock here that we're doing the super flex rookie mock last pick Irv Smith was just night before me so I I'm actually having a tough time on what I want to do here because it's going to be a quarterback but I'm debating between two look Will Greer was a guy who I was super high on hi I was super high on, and uh, I, I I am higher on talent wise than the other guy I'm I'm considering. But the guy I'm going to take, even though I'm not as high on, I love the landing spot, and I think his value is going to increase. And I think we talked about how New England's able to increase the value of their backup quarterback somehow, some way. And so I'm going to take Jared Stidham um, here. I'm going to I'm going to finish us off on the Superflex podcast and this Superflex mock draft with a quarterback. So Jared Stidham's the guy I'm going to take. Um, I've always kind of liked Stidham. Um, I don't know that uh, that he was used the way that he thought he was going to be used when he transferred to Auburn. Um, and uh, so, you know, with that being the case, I, I think that held him back a little bit. Um, I, I think he's the kind of the kind of quarterback that Bill Belichick's going to be able to make the most with. He's smart. Um, he, he knows the game. And I think if he can sit a couple years, two, three years behind Brady. Um, you know, this isn't a, a pick I think I'm going to get immediate return on my investment with, but it's somebody who I think his value will stay the same, you know, uh, late second in a super flex, um, even as a backup to Brady with people, you know, anticipating that his days are coming to an end um, and that this guy's the next in line to, to take over that that position. Um, so I think, you know, value-wise, I don't think it's going to go down any, even with him sitting um, and, uh, you know, I think it can go up, you know, if this is Brady's last year, I think his value skyrockets to where either I can use him next year or I can move him and I can, I can get, uh, you know, a whole lot more than what I just spent on him. So that's my thought process here. What do you guys think? Uh, Stidham here. Is it a reach? I don't know if it's a reach. I think I would rather actually have Easton stick. Um, 
<laughs> I, I do. No, I do. I, I like Easton Stick as a prospect. I, I think he's a good uh, quarterback prospect. Sitting behind an arguable Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers. Uh, and he's going to be there what? I mean, Phillip Rivers is 36 now. Is that right, Jesse? 37, yeah. Okay, so he's got two, three more good years left here. No, no, he doesn't, but okay, we'll roll with that. I think he does, just because of how he plays. But regardless, you you still have probably a couple seasons of learning under uh, Phillip Rivers, learning in that offense, refining his skills, and then uh, comes out – and if you're going to take a shot on a quarterback like that, I would rather be taking one on Easton Stick here, or maybe even Brett Ripien. Really, I mean, <laughs> but he's an undrafted free agent. So, so what about Will Greer? It's I and I mean I I know it's a it's kind of a man crush thing that I that I just can't quite let go of yet. But there's also there's still a possibility that Cam Newton misses at least some time in 2019 which very well could mean some playing time early for Will Greer. I like Will Greer when I was doing – oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was going to say, when I was doing my tape review on Will Greer, I actually really liked him. You know, I thought he has more arm talent than people give him credit for. Does he make it look very difficult to throw a ball? Yes, he absolutely does. But I think he was actually able to manage the game pretty well. Uh, he had good decision-making. I liked his his overall – ability to kind of work a field. So I think Will Will Greer gives Carolina a, a safer option behind Cam. Um, I don't know if he'll see the field right away, and I don't know if he'll ever have a huge fantasy football impact. But if Cam was to go down, somebody who has experienced consistent injuries with his shoulder recently, I think that Will Greer instantly becomes somebody who is able to go in, manage a game, and have some level of success. Is he going to go up and throw up 400-yard games and three touchdowns? No, probably not. But can he get to the point where he's the guy that comes in and throws 225 yards and a touchdown and, and doesn't turn the ball over four times? I think he can be that. I, I agree. I think he, honestly, besides Kyler, and I, I actually like Will Greer as, more of a, as a pocket passer more, um, might be the most NFL-ready thrower in the game, uh, decision maker in the game. He's fantastic on third down. He's fantastic in presser situations. Uh, didn't have a lot to work with in terms of uh, skills, skill players in West at West Virginia. I know we had David Sills, but uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, uh, it's it's an interesting landing spot because I think it might speak a little bit about how they feel about Cam, like. I just and – and I think they're two very different types of quarterbacks. And I think Cam's contract is up in two seasons. Uh, I, I might be wrong. That might be wrong, but I think it's up in two seasons. So it's definitely interesting. I, I think Greer, despite landing spot, this is one of those that you kind of have to take a shot on because Cam is a – is a uh, quarterback that can get hurt. We, I mean, obviously we saw it last season uh, with the style of play. And if he if he doesn't play the season, you can see Greer early. And if Cam does play and gets hurt again, you can see him there too. So Will Greer has a, a legitimate shot to play in the next couple of seasons. And and not for nothing, but you know, how many times did Taylor Heineke come in at the end of a half last year just to huck right. the ball down the field? Well, Will right. Greer can huck the ball down the field. So 
you know, there's clearly something they see in him at some level of immediate ability to contribute. So, guys, real quick to change topic a little bit. Um, we, we just finished this up. Is there somebody who's still left on the board that you guys are shocked didn't get taken? Um, or or do you think that this is kind of uh, kind of kind of what you were expecting for the most part? I'm not shocked at anything at this point. Yeah, uh, this this class is so weird. I, the wounds are still very fresh. Um, but I, a guy, guys that I do expect to sneak into like that if we were to keep going that third or fourth round, like guys like um, um, that uh, Sam mentioned, actually like Foster Moreau, guys, you know, that walk into that, that basically a, a starting tight end position there. Um, uh, I'm sure he'd probably sneak into that fourth that fourth round, give or take, but. Um, Probably, I, I'm assuming people are going to end up taking a lot more flyers on on running backs um, going later into that uh, those third and fourth rounds as well. But I don't think anything surprises me necessarily at this point. Um, Sternberger, I think Sternberger yeah, I think might be not being at the second is a little surprising. Yeah, yeah, I mean Dawson Knox too to the Bills. I mean we're you know. We left a lot of good, a good tight end talent on the board, guys that I don't think are worthy of going in those first two rounds. But there's, there's, I feel like the first round or two is going to be so much, um, so unsteady from draft to draft. But once you get into those, the third and fourth round, I think you're going to find yourself a lot of really good, uh, really good late round talent there. Um, and real quick too, before we even get off of it, where was, I was just looking at something, some notable names that went undrafted this year that I think a lot of the fantasy community really got on, uh, just, just to name off a few is Alex Barnes, um, Demaria Crockett, uh, Dax Raymond, um, Elijah Holyfield, Greg Dortch, um, Jacoby Myers, um, LJ Scott, Lil Jordan Humphrey stands out to me there too. Penny Hart, uh, Preston Williams. And I know some of these guys are getting, you know, uh, getting signed as UDFAs right now, but. Um, I think there's Tyree Jackson as well. I know he was a guy that kind of came on late for a lot of people as like a really raw prospect. Uh, raw prospect. Uh, I like that. We're gonna use prospect from prospect. now on. I like that. I like that. Okay. See, I'm not not good for nothing. Tyree Jackson but, uh, stayed in Buffalo, by the yes, way. Yes, he did. Yeah, and so um, I, I just it's I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of shitty when we're looking at it right now. Like how many guys we invested in that didn't even get drafted and oh. And, Sorry, and I'm honestly not to cut you off, but one of the undrafted guys. Uh, I got to take off, so I'm going to yeah. say my goodbyes and uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, Bobby. Uh, Bye, Bobby. Thanks for Bye, joining Bobby. us all three days, buddy. Yeah, yeah no thanks problem. for sticking around, Bobby. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, take it easy, guys. Catch we'll you later. Talk to you later. Sorry, Jesse. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was I was looking at my updated UDFA list and. James Williams, the draft Twitter yeah. favorite, went to Kansas City. That's wow. a exciting that is, one. That is really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, but yeah, just just looking at some of these names on this list right here of notable uh, notable players that did not get drafted. I mean, I know I spent quite a. I, I wrote an entire very um, very long report on Alex Barnes. Uh, you know, little Jordan Humphrey was the guy that I did some extensive work on. Uh, Demario Crockett was a favorite coming out of uh, Missouri. It, Elijah Holyfields, dude, like a lot of people just had that guy pegged as a top five running back. And here he goes. He, he's not even drafted. Like this just goes to show you the extreme disconnect between us, the fantasy community and what real teams are thinking sometimes, you know, like, and that also goes with just a, an incredible, uh, an incredible gap between 
what we believe is talent that we can use from a fantasy perspective to what the league thinks is talent that they can use in football. And uh, this is just kind of a testament to that. And it's just kind of crazy looking back at it right now with all these names, man. Two guys that I just want to quickly talk about is they were definitely options for me when I took herd was justice Hill playing in Baltimore. I think, you know, he, I th- honestly, I think he pretty much immediately replaces Gus Edwards. I think he's going to yeah. have a high level of production. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Gus Edwards had fantasy football value. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I love Justice Hill. I loved his tape. He's excellent in space. He's quick and he fits on clearly a very quick offense that they're trying to build. And then one guy I don't think is getting enough credit. I love Alexander Madison to Minnesota. I think it's a perfect fit. He, mm-hmm. They need a guy who can be on the field for five to 10 carries a game and keep Dalvin Cook fresh. And also a guy who is probably going to get the work on the goal line. And I liked Alexander Madison's tape and I saw his ability to contribute in between the tackles and a little bit to the passing game uh, and pass blocking game as well. A guy, Alexander Madison, when I just say, when I think of him in the tape that I watch and and some of the stuff work that I've done on, I just think well-rounded. He's a very well-rounded running back. He doesn't necessarily do anything in particular um, at an elite level, but he's just very consistent in what he does. And he had really, really good um, production at at Boise State. And, I mean, we we know that's kind of a a running back pipeline there. They they produce a lot of good running backs. So um, I I love him there. I wish maybe he would have landed in a spot where, there was kind of a direct line to to more touches for him where he can be fantasy relevant but i completely agree i think he he is going to be a great fit for what the vikings are going to need and um he definitely does fit in there very well before we get out of here before i get out of here too i i've seen mixed results on on this and i'm kind of at a loss uh how do you guys feel and this guy's my running back one and uh, it's daryl henderson I'm uh, I see a lot of reports. People are like, oh, people are saying, oh, well, Todd Gurley is in worse shape than we think. And then I've seen a lot of reports that people are looking at this as a guy who's going to just basically keep Todd Gurley fresh and is a good behind Todd Gurley depth piece. And this was literally probably one of the worst places he could have landed for me because I had him projected to go somewhere and, and literally be a guy that is going to absolutely fight for touches in almost any scenario, except for going to maybe Dallas, um, uh, New Orleans, um, LA chargers, uh, and now, and, and, and the LA Rams teams that already have, you know, New York, but and literally outside of those like five teams, four teams, anywhere he could have gone, I feel like he would have just come in and could have could have been the best running back on the field almost. And I just kind of want to get you guys' take on that because I'm disappointed. I'm, my heart has been stabbed, and I feel <laughs> I'm just I'm down, I'm down, man. I think I have a I have kind of a unique take on it, Jesse, because I didn't like Daryl Henderson from tape. I really didn't because I thought he was. He had to. I feel like he was such a boomer bust guy, and if you look at the way Memphis ran it, he always had to be fresh in order to break off those big plays. So I actually like his landing spot. I'm backwards on it. He's actually going to bump a little bit up in my rankings because I love his landing spot because I don't think he's a guy who has bell cow ability or the ability to go out there and get 15 to 20 touches a game and be effective. But if Daryl Henderson can get on the field five to ten times a game, especially in the third or fourth quarter after Todd Curley Todd Gurley has beaten down defenses already, and all of a sudden those holes are opening up and becoming even wider. Then Daryl Henderson might be able to break off a couple, you know, long runs. I personally hate it because I'm a John Kelly truther, but 
I think if I'm a Rams fan, I'm thrilled about Daryl Henderson there. I get it as a guy who, you know, I know a lot of people are high in Daryl Henderson. And of course, if he's your running back one, you want him in Kansas City in somewhere yeah. where he can ball yeah. out. Bears uh, before Montgomery went there. Like I thought, exactly. you, know, yeah. you know, anywhere like that would have been prime. Well, and I and I think it just speaks to, I mean, we've been hearing it all offseason that they want to um, get or, or monitor Gurley's touches. So instead of doing 25 a game, you're going to go down to, let's say, 15. Uh, and, I mean, them using capital on Darrell Henderson means they want a guy that's going to spell him and an explosive guy, that, uh, explosive guy that's going to spell him. And I think you got it right. That's that's Darrell Henderson. Um, so he will be fantasy relevant in terms of like he could be an RB3 uh, some weeks, which uh, I know it's tough because I, I know, Jesse, you had – well, you had thought he could fight to be a starter at some point. I mean, you were that high. And, and I know you he was your RB. Here, I thought. Yeah. I planted my flag yeah. on that guy. That was the one guy I was absolutely wholeheartedly it was, certain. It kind of reminded me of the John Kelly pick, though, because everybody was so high on John Kelly, and he got behind Todd Gurley, and it's just like, what happened? <laughs> oh, man, too soon. Too was, I know. I, I was with you, man. I um, <laughs> I, I, a couple other guys I wanted to highlight just real quick before we get off of here. Uh, a couple third round picks. Uh, James, you had brought up um, Terry McLaurin, and he teams up with his college quarterback. So that I think could make Terry McLaurin creep up a little bit. I mean, you don't. I don't think there's any confidence in any pass catchers in Washington. It maybe maybe Quinn, but. Then if I'm biting on the guy there, it's it's Kelvin Harmon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I was just gonna say. He went he went late, but the fact that he went there too, and that's but, a team yeah. that needs wide receivers. Both both those guys could. could I, I get that. Contribute. I get that. I and, and a lot of though. Uh, well, and, and a lot of people are high on Harmon, but I I think that the aspect I I don't think we can downplay chemistry uh, uh, too much here, where. We know Haskins and McLaurin worked with each other for, for a season, or I mean, we're teammates for multiple seasons. So I would expect him to be relatively comfortable early on. So McLaurin could definitely be somebody that could hit early next season. Um, and then the other one, uh, Kehale Warren, uh, I thought he was a, a pretty underrated tight end. He goes to a spot in tech in tech or in Houston that they didn't have a legitimate tight end. I think a lot of it, or a few of us liked Jordan Thomas at the end of the season, but Cahill Warren, I think out can outplay uh, Jordan Thomas. Um, and they don't have any like consistent second pass catcher there. You have Will Fuller who is coming off an ACL is probably going to deal with hamstring injuries. He already already dealt with hamstring injuries. Kiki Kuti was dealing with, has dealt with hamstring injuries basically his entire career. I, from college and even last season. So Kahale Warren could develop into a secondary pass catcher for Deshaun Watson behind uh, Nuko or, or DeAndre Hopkins there. So that's that's another interesting tight end prospect uh, that I could see climbing up boards too. Did, yeah. uh, sorry, no, 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 go ahead. I have a different No, question. no, go, go right ahead. Oh, I, it's a completely different question. So if you had a take on, on what Sam was saying, I, go ahead and go first because I just had a thought. Yeah, no, I, I actually was was uh, was kind of going to – I agree with you. Uh, first, Stompy, I think that's that's uh, 
it's fantastic. But a couple of names I just wanted to bring up right quick too. Um, we're, we're tight ends. Jay Sternberger is one of them going to Green Bay. I think that's a fantastic landing spot. Um, he can contribute right away. And I think we're all kind of at least a, a big part of the the community was high on Jay Sternberger. So I like that landing spot. And I also like Dawson Knox going to Buffalo. Um, I think that's a, an underrated landing spot too. Um, Josh Allen can use that tight end, um, I would think. And Dawson Knox is a guy who athletically, um, he's become a better blocker th- this past season. And athletically, he's fantastic. Um, he definitely has the speed. He's a good receiving threat. And I don't, I'm don't. i not enamored with any of Buffalo's receivers. So I think uh, Dawson Knox could get a good share of the uh, – the targets there. So those are just two guys I wanted to bring up before we kind of moved along. So yeah, uh, go ahead, Jesse. I was going to say one guy that kind of interests me. I'm trying to find if he even got drafted right now. I don't see him on any lists and I haven't heard anything about him. He's actually a guy that I was hoping the chargers would uh, take a stab at uh, is Demarcus lodge. Uh, Good contributor there at Ole miss. Um, And he broke out at a really, uh, really early age. Um, age 20 and was able to hold a steady market share around 20% there has a lot of good situational upside, but to me off tape and um, metrics and everything, uh, physical metrics, I should say he projected best as a guy who can um, switch between uh, the flanker and the slot kind of role. So that, that Z Y kind of area, um, somebody who could kind of trade with a guy like Keenan Allen, go inside outside and, and be effective. Um, I'm interested to see, I can't find him anywhere uh, right now. Um, on where he landed or if he landed anywhere good or if he's still available. But um, that'd be a guy that I believe if he goes to a decent situation, he has some very good um, situational upside uh, there. And I, I would think that um, that he'd be he'd be a guy to watch maybe like that 410, 412 range. I would definitely take a stab at him I'd- there. I don't know that he landed in the best spot. He was actually uh, a UDFA, and he did sign with Tampa Bay. Um, oh, so. Pro- probably not the best spot for opportunity at least no. early, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, no, I, I don't think for opportunity necessarily. It still has some good situational upside, but I'll probably let him go until um, if I'm in deeper, deeper rookie drafts. I'm, I have one team that's actually that goes into like the seven, seven round rookie drafts. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely be acquiring him there, um, probably in that fifth or sixth round area uh, where you can get some good depth, but. I'm bummed we weren't able to pick him up. But, yeah, that was a guy that I was kind of uh, – just to go along with your point, Sam, uh, guys that, that we kind of didn't get yep. to. Well, um, I think that's all we have for everybody. That was our mock draft, two rounds. Uh, we got some interesting takes, some interesting picks. Definitely going to be – I'm going to say interesting another time because apparently that's the uh, word I'm fixated on, but interesting um, – to see who climbs up and goes down draft boards as the uh, preseason progresses. So thanks again, guys for coming on. Um, And maybe we can do this again in another few months just to see where we're at in terms of the, these rookies. Yeah. We'll have to bring both of you back on when we haven't, been on a uh, three-day marathon here so. yeah yeah <laughs> so I was can... this you know this whole entire process before we get out of here too you know thank you guys for having me on number one but this whole entire process i think we all as fans of the game and fantasy and analysts that put in so much work into this i know this is my actually my first off season covering um rookie rookies extensively i mean i always follow it the draft process regardless but um putting out draft profiles and and rankings and everything like that and i can tell you that it has just been a mentally tough couple months man it has been absolutely 
um, rigorous for me from a mental capacity. I love every day. I love every minute of it. There are times where it gets a little rough and uh, redundant in your process, but um, I can tell you uh, that that it has been absolutely amazing to follow all these these guys that are coming out. And now we've kind of come to this culmination of everybody's hard work, and nobody knows what the fuck is going on right now. And that's <laughs> it's you know, it's it's so fun. Um, but yeah, dude. I mean, I know you, everybody in here has been just just grinding away the past couple months, and we finally arrived, and it's it's come and gone extremely fast. And the next couple months, we're gonna have a blast, just kind of picking these guys apart and picking each other apart and telling each other that we're wrong and we're right. And uh, I just I look forward to it, man. This process has just been incredibly fun, and um, I hope you guys had just as much fun as I did, man. Yeah, man, this was a blast. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, like Jesse said, man, just been grinding the tape for a while. So happy to talk about these guys. Finally get to contextualize them a little bit in their landing spot. And also, you know, what what the NFL thinks of them. And, you know, it helps kind of check your process and the way that you look at tape and the things that you find and, and how players stand out. So I'm really excited about it. It's going to be exciting to see how these guys go through the offseason and then into preseason and then what they really look like in you know, I'm going to give myself probably about, uh, about you know, 24, 48 hours, and it's time to start watching 2020 tape. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so with you right there, dude. I cannot wait to watch just Tyler Johnson to no end. <laughs> I haven't stopped watching Jonathan Taylor for a while, so oh, man. Yeah, uh, I have to move on. There That's you go. The- going to be the fun part about next next running year. backs baby the running back class is absolutely dominant next year the the wide receiver the wide receiver early projections look like they are going to be on yeah. par as well and then you have quarterback i think next year is going to be just a, a plethora of offensive talent and i think we could absolutely see a reverse of what we saw this year i think you could see absolute first round just dominated by offense and it's, well it's going to be wild too because we think we know like kind of what we will have going into next season. And then you're going to start getting these running backs going places. And you're like, it's going to screw up a lot of teams. Yes. We like to think we know what's going on uh, all the time. You know, we 99% of the time we don't, we just have that 0.1% hunch where we, where we make (laughs) suggestions and smart moves and we look good, you know, but um, yeah, next year I'm, I'm with you on that, Matt. I I can't wait to dive in on this next class. And, and uh, next year I got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff planned, dude. It's going to be very fun. I can't wait. We're definitely going to have you guys back on to talk about next year's class, too. There's uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about there. So, Jesse, Matt, thanks again, guys, for coming on. Jesse, you came in on a really short notice. We really appreciate that. And, Matt, you've taken part in a couple of these now. So, um, really appreciate uh, the time that you've given there, too. Yeah, man, always glad to jump on with you guys. Great group of guys. Great group of fantasy minds right here. Nice. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, boys. Absolutely, guys. Thanks very much, man. We'll talk to you guys later. And again, thank you to the guys for jumping in and helping us with this mock. Again, Matt Hicks at the FF underscore educator, founder of the FF Analyst, host of the FF Analyst podcast and the Draft Room podcast and writer for Gridiron Experts. Jesse Reeves at Jesse Reeves FF, Dynasty Analyst for FFstatistics.com, and host of the Youth Movement Podcast, and Bobby Koch at Wrecked Fantasy, R-E-K-E-D Fantasy, host of the brand new Superflex Podcast, Superflex, along with the zookeeper himself, Matt Price. Bobby's also a writer for DLF and one of the influencers on Twitter, so if you're not already following him, Make sure that you are.
give all those guys a follow, in fact. But we're going to wrap it up there for the week, for the draft, for the 2019 NFL draft. And we're actually going to take this next week off. Uh, This has been an absolute marathon. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in live for any or all of the three shows, the three live shows on YouTube. They're still available on the channel if you want to go check them out. These are also all available on the podcast stream, and we thank you for listening there. But we're going to take a week off to recover and and recuperate, and then we'll get back at the the super flex analysis and strategy for you uh, one week from now. But we'll wrap it up there for now. And as we do ask you for a quick favor, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts mega feed and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to our larger get out to a larger audience involve more people in the conversation so that we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you the listener and in the vein of listener interaction send us your trades on twitter at superflex show you can also send them to any one of us individually stompy is at ff stompy james is at underscore james the brain and i'm at superflex dude we can retweet them, help you get more votes and comments, and sometimes even bring them here on the podcast. Thank you to everybody who listened, who who joined us live on the YouTube channel. Thank you to all of our all of our great guests: Nick Whalen and Jeff Lambert, Shane Manila, Dynasty Outhouse, Brian Har, Bobby Koch, Matt Hicks, Jesse Reeves. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for everybody who got involved in the discussion, and thank you all for listening back on the podcast stream. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music, and above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for for listening and for all of your support. We love you all, and we thank you. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah,